They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Ancient gods in the sky, open up my third eye. Take a look, it's in the book, the occult book club. They will go anywhere, with text aware and knowledge to share, the occult book club. Welcome back to another episode. I got that song stuck in my head, though. A book I have, but it's, it's amazing. It was really good. And the other one was really good, too. No one knows what you're talking about, though. No one knows. Well, they're going to hear it at the beginning of this, bro. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going we're gonna to wait until we've got that buttoned up. Exactly. So, so you just watched a, a pretty badass opening intro and uh we've got even more on the way that was just one of many yes so an, another little ex you know extra little treat for anyone that watches a cult book club this is like one of the greatest shows ever on the internet bro this is like the the we're getting we bring people over we have people who don't like the homoeroticism the nipple jokes the all the other stuff and then they come. I'll have they... you know, I am wearing pasties for this episode, so <laughs> we are we're like at least three layers separated from nipples this time. And and they they come and, and and they join the dark side. They're like, you know what? After reconsidering, I actually subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> I'm a fan now. So again, we take a little bit of warming up to, but once you're warmed up, you know it's it's golden. I mean, I would never compare what we're doing to Manly P. Hall, but no. if someone were to compare what we're doing to Manly P. Hall, 
they'd probably take that analogy where where Hall was originally kind of hated on because he would draw analogies from walking down the street and looking into windows and window shopping and he would relate it to the actual world that he was living in very pragmatic and a lot very of matter of occultist, fact very matter of fact <laughs> very like he would describe things and analogies about you know modern sort of phenomena and modern companies and businesses and experience and all of the arcane people that were invested in learning latin and learning to read you know the ancient greek and putting together all of their own sort of uh, interpretations of these works to have someone come out and just spit it like it was in the, the the common tongue it was almost like profane so he got a lot of hate for that and i think that maybe we just take that an extra level further where we throw in some you know some unsavory jokes here and there but i, I think it's also just to relate to a sort of different type of person that might not originally be interested in this deeper information. They might mm -hmm. be here for the dick jokes, but then they get a little bit of dose of that enlightenment and they come back for more. Cause that's what we're really, that's what's behind the scenes, right? We, we dangle, we dangle the, the funny bits in front of you, but we got some good stuff that you'll find uh, as we, we ease it in a little bit. Exactly. And before we get into it, you can find me at the Juan on Juan, at the Juan on Juan podcast dot com at the one one podcast on all social media platforms and if you're listening to this on the rss feed leave us a five-star review it is free 99 if you're listening to this on youtube thumbs up subscribe share with your friends whatever just do it make sure to check out the stuff paranoidamerican.com right thomas what else paranoidamerican.com the uh the music and the production and everything that you might have heard earlier too uh, if we're putting any of that music in, or maybe later on or something, you can find that at hiphopproduction.com. That's the, the OG business from like 20 years ago. Yeah, I wish you would have told me earlier because I'm always looking for music. And then you're like, yeah, I forgot. That was that my you... my old life, man. I we forgot that, that some other time. Yeah. That you're so, dude, like you're such an enigmatic figure that. that oh, stop. You've got no, layers, go on, go on. bro. So it's like, oh, this was that Thomas and there was this other Thomas. And there was that. Oh. I had a different name back then too. I went by Lex, even though my app, my name isn't even Alex. That's I just so went gay, by Lex bro. For a long time. It's so gay. And I wasn't bald at that time either. I had a huge <laughs> afro. So we're gonna be talking about one of the first works that I was introduced to. I think even before the Secret Teachings of All Ages, of Manly P. Hall, and this was actually published a year after the Secret Teachings of of All Ages was published, because the Secret Teachings was published in 1928 and this was published in 1929 we're gonna be talking about the occult anatomy of man and this book really blew my mind what i didn't really like about it was because again i'm not anti-religious or anything but homeboy goes hard in the paint on christians like he goes hard he's like you know these christians they don't know what they're talking he goes hard in the pain. That's the only thing that rubbed me the wrong way, kind of, sort of. Because I came from that, and whenever they would do, like, the missionary, the sermons or whatever it was at my church, they would always attack the other countries. Like, oh, they're going to... I'm like, bro, if you're not there to teach them who your God is, they're going to keep worshiping their God. You can't get mad at them. You can't condone them for not knowing any better. If it's even worse, though, because as missionaries, one of the tenets, right, is that if you were never preached the word and you didn't know about the true God, then you almost get a free pass. Like, you mm. don't, it doesn't mean that you immediately go to hell, 
I mean, according to some beliefs, right? But but there are some beliefs that within Christianity, as long as you had never heard of it, then it's not necessarily your fault that you didn't follow it. So missionaries, in a very introverted way, by spreading the word of God, they are, you know, essentially damning people to hell if if they've given them the word and then they can't convince them to follow the word. Well, now those people are going to hell and they might not have been previously. Mm. So just, just to throw that out there. Interesting because, yeah, no, my, my church would just attack them and that really bothered me. I, I sometimes w- would leave whenever they would start attacking other because I'm not about that, right? I'm here to accept various points of views and have interesting conversations. And I, and I came across something here, but I don't know if you've... So, well, I want to know why this triggered you, though. Why did why did a cult anatomy trigger you in that way? Oh, because Christianity isn't the other the only religion that that has it not wrong, but that thinks that they are the one. I mean, there's other all other religions think that think that they're the one. Yeah, but I think when this was written, was it 1929? I mean, yeah, what kind of what kind of religious sect do you think was the most critical? of Manly P. Hall writing about occultism. It was most likely going to be mm. sort of Christianity. So, he so was I like think that that's where it came at from. Them, it. Bro. Just like, bah, it, bah. it was a jab. I think more of it, though, it's it's not uh, criticizing Christianity, period. It's Christ- it's sort of criticizing the people and how they're you know following it and that they're ignoring the, the occult facts that, mm. that Hall's trying to drop on them. I think that's what he was just frustrated with. Yeah, yeah no, most definitely. And I'm here, I'm looking at here initiated june 28 1954 passed september 20th 1954 raised november 22nd is that jewel lodge number 374 does that have anything to do with manly p hall do you know uh where where's that coming from the the front of the book no, I'm on I'm on Goodreads and I'm just like looking up the quick. Well, I don't know what the hell you're reading. I don't know if that has anything to do with them. Well, because I mean, th- that, those would be Masonic uh, references to Entered Apprentice, Fellowcraft, and Master Mason. Oh, Jewel Lodge number three seventy four, wherever that is. The, the lodge would be where yeah, where all those three things happened at. Okay. Typically, it happens at the same lodge. Although, I guess it'd be possible to do one a different one. That's kind of atypical. I wonder where this law is. Probably in California somewhere, but. Anyways, we're going to probably do, yeah, in San Francisco, California. We're going to probably do, I want to do a whole episode on Manly P. Hall. We should do that. I recently did that interview with Ronnie Pontiac, who studied with Manly, worked with him. And that was a really good episode. That'll be out soon. I don't know if the people would hear it by the time this comes out, but... Yeah, I talked to him, but I want to do like a breakdown of his life because he was he was an interesting guy. And I saw the stuff that you had made where it was like, well, the secret <laughs> of enlightenment is sugar. It's mamas. a sugar mama. So, it's having a sugar mama, too. It's like the deep esoteric cause of stuff. So I want to do like a, a description. There's not a lot about this, and it's more of a pamphlet than it is a book. But it's one of the first things I read of him, and I wanted to do an episode on it. But first published in 1929, this is a study of the occult aspects of human physiology by Manly Palmer Hall, who lived from 1909 to 1990, a Canadian-born occultist, mystic, and author best known for his book, The Secret Teaching of All Ages, that was published a year before this was published. In The Occult Anatomy of Man, Hall has gathered together a world-renowned collection of books and manuscripts on alchemy, mysticism, and the occult which became a part of the library 
of an organization, the Philosophical Research Society, which he founded in 1934. Manly Palmer Hall was the author of over a hundred books and pamphlets on the esoteric subjects. And this, this book came out obviously after the secret teachings. So, you know, this was Manly P. Hall at, it, at his peak, like the most esoteric, occult, mystic Manly P. Hall. And it was weird because Ronnie told me that later on in his life, he wasn't so occult. He didn't like talking about the occult out of the office. He didn't like doing it. He was more like calming down. And this came out after he had already been initiated in all those. I, I kind of relate to that in like conspiracy theories where like I remember going real hard at every single topic. And, and the original inclination was like everything's true. The first theory you hear is true. And then research it as if it's true. And then just only disprove it as you go along. But after you come in contact with so many of them and then so many other people that are at different stages of that journey, especially when you just keep bumping up in the people that just heard about reptilians last year or that just heard about MK Ultra last year or something. Uh, I, I could only imagine it for someone like Manly Palmer Hall, where every single person that's on a personal pilgrimage and trying to like discover themselves within the West, right, within the, the States, and they go and they knock on you know, Manly Palmer Hall's door, uh, sort of like trying to join Fight Club. He'd probably just leave him out there for a while. So I, I think there was probably an aspect of that. I want to rewatch that movie now, bro. That movie's so great. The uh, Fight Club, it's so cerebral. Right? You, that plot, it always gets you like, oh, no matter how many times you've seen it. But let's get into this here. I have, I don't know if you wanted to start. It's not very long. It's only what i want to say we can make it longer though because he re he'll he'll drop something in here because again it's a pamphlet not a book so he'll say uh any serious researchers into you know the topic of such and such will know that blah 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 so i try to jump into those you know those <laughs> extra bits that he was trying to research so this this little pamphlet is just every little statement opens up a whole wormhole and rabbit hole to dive into so it's not, I guess, in my opinion, this is like the appetizer, right? This is like a little teaser. It's almost like a dinner mint um, that would come like before. Like, what do you call it? Like aperitif, right? Aperitif is like a one bite appetizer. It's not meant to fill you up. It's just meant to liven those taste buds so that you're like hungry for whenever the full meal comes. So I really think that this is sort of what that would be. This is kind of like the, you know, our little pamphlet, our occultist Monday. It would be this thing that introduces you to some concepts that you didn't hear about, which I think is appropriate because you just said this is the first thing that you came across mm -hmm. for Hall, right? So was this your first impression of Hall? Was this pamphlet? Yeah, bro. Like there was so you, the you got him when he was, you know, raging full of hormones. He's like a horny teenager level yes. of a cultist at this point. And then it was like, damn, I want some more. And then it was like, oh, he wrote this entire thing, the secret teachings of all ages. I'm like, oh, and you start peeling that back. And we've said it before when people ask me, what should you start reading if you want to get into like a cult or esoteric subjects? I always tell them the secret teachings because that's the tip. If you don't like the rest you know, the shaft, if you will, <laughs> then you're not going to like anything else. So just stop there because everything else is more esoteric more and by esoteric i mean more specified well right? there's there's also um oh what is it called codex magica by tex mars i believe 
And in my opinion, that's that's sort of the bridge between if you want to get even more surface level and a little bit more superficial than Secret Teachings, then you can probably look at Codex Magica, which is basically just pictures of politicians and people sit next to, you know, Masons. It's like the original internet memes where it would show the secret handshake and then an old pamphlet from the 1800s and say, you know, these are the same thing. They're in the same club. Tex Mars did that in a thick book. It was I want to say like 700 pages, probably like 400, but it's a huge sort of reference book. Uh, so I kind of see it as that was my entry point into symbolism. That just gets you looking and seeing Ouroboros and seeing snakes and seeing Zodiac mm. signs and all sorts of popular works, but he doesn't go into the actual depth. He'll just be like, you know, this came from a pagan God. Therefore it's, you know, Satan Illuminati, you know, nonsense. And then Palmer Hall breaks it down a little bit further, and he's the one that, you know, pisses people off a little bit. We should do an episode on this one. I never heard about this book, bro. Codex get... Magica. There's all, another one called um, I just Mysteries it. of the Monuments or something like that. He he was prolific, man. And, you know, if, if you haven't heard any of Tex Mars' work, it's at least worth looking over. Secret Handshakes of the Illuminati. El Diablo yeah, shows put, his horns. He puts everybody on blast. Caution, you are now entering the Forbidden Zone. Oh, dude, we got to do one, yeah. one on this. <laughs> okay, yeah. Bet. We'll, we'll have to do one on that one. All right, cool. So we'll save that one for later. So, yeah, this is the first thing I came across, and it blew my mind. Because I have been... We know that the Bible, for example... I mean, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Here, let's start off with... <laughs> the I, I if I could highlight all this this whole <laughs> that's thing the problem, that's yeah. the problem you try to take notes and it's, you just end up copying and pasting you can't yeah you can't so right off the bat bro he comes out the gate swinging he just balls to the wall in scripture we are told that God made man in his own image it is so stated not only in the Christian Bible but also in the holy writings of nearly all enlightened people the Jewish patriarchs taught that the human body was the microcosm or little cosmos, made in the image of the macrocosm or the great cosmos. This analogy between the finite and infinite is said to be one of the keys by the aid of which the secrets of the holy rite are unlocked. And then he goes on to say the Old Testament is a physiological and anatomical textbook to those capable of reading it from a scientific viewpoint. And whenever, whenever he says stuff like this, because he, remember, he was also towards the end of his life, too. Because here's the thing, when, talking to Ronnie, and that's really, to be one degree of separation from Manly P. Hall, from this guy who was able to get to know him, even if it was towards the end of his life where he was blind, he couldn't even see him, he was settled down, this old man, well he still got to talk to him and get to know him. And one of the things he told me was that Manly P hall would start to put out these other things towards like the, you know, after his peak, after his prime, where it was more self-help because he believed that this type of material could quite literally drive you insane, which we all know, right? Chapel perilous. And we all know people who go crazy and you have the meme where the guy's connecting all the, the, the yarn and everything. You know what I'm saying? Like how you were saying how you went hard in the paint. It can kind of sort of drive you cuckoo. So he would sprinkle in this, this kind of self-help. How to, He had lectures on how to read your Bible, how to live stress-free, like stuff like that to help people because he understood if people were just to dive 
hardcore into this type of thing, they could kind of go insane. And whenever he's talking about the Old Testament is a physiological and anatomical textbook. I don't know, bro. I've been I've been finding some stuff here and there that's like, okay. Well, and I want to wonder, too, that how much of this was Manly P. Hall deciding to help people through self-help versus he just saw that that's where this whole industry mm. of arcane knowledge was headed, is that someone <laughs> would go and learn some secret, and then, bam, they're putting out, like, 20 books, and they're going on, you know, seminars, because like, that was how it? he got... Well, that's how he got his start, right? Is yeah. that he, he started getting hired to just give talks on sort of information that people weren't aware of, occultism in general. Yeah. So, I mean, over time, he's like, man, all these youngins are growing up and they're like, all they know is the tip, but they're making a fortune off of that tip. So it, it might have been partially of don't get lost by the new generation, right? These are all like the new TikTok stars and all the Twitch streamers that are taking over the industry from his standpoint. So it might've just been like, that was Manly P. Hall setting up a Twitch channel, you know, just to stay relevant and get his information <laughs> out to the younger crowd. Didn't somebody call us like little babies or something like that? That we need to put some respect on this, this, these topics, they're super serious and you gotta put some respect on the name. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, according to Hall, though, the being born is essentially like the bad part and being closer to death is the closer you are to escaping prison. That, that comes in one of the later sections. Yikes. Okay, so I have also here the great hermetic axiom was that which is above is like unto that which is below and that which is below is like unto that which is above. And let me pull up some other stuff because I took notes on my tablet and also my computer because it'd be like that bro i think that honestly that statement is the most occult thing that you could possibly embrace and that should if anything triggers the hardcore christians uh the fundamentalists it should be you know embracing that because as above so below that's you know that's the 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 baphomet pointing down and up at the same time but it's a reference to just the power of analogy mm -hmm. that's all it is you're mm -hmm. just stating if you know how to understand things in analogies and you don't know how to speak in analogies then you can communicate a complex subject in a much simpler manner yeah. to a wider group of people and it's that concept of of being the basis of all hermetic principles and that's kind of what he's saying is that hermes is the god of analogy so hermes is the god of as above so below oh. so if you embrace speaking in analogies and being able to take information in one realm and apply it to another realm. It also means that you don't even have to understand, you know, science or anatomy. If you understand one of these different arts, if you're an expert in one of those fields, then through the power of analogy, you can almost become an expert in any other field. That's a very academic approach to it. But I think that that's, that's a whole gist of what he's kind of getting at in a lot of this. Yeah. And there is, he, here he says something about it. So, the functions of the human body, the attributes of the human mind, and the qualities of the human soul have been personified by wise men of the ancient world, and a great drama has been built around their relationships to themselves and to each other. To the great Egyptian demigod Hermes, the human race owes its concept of the law of analogy. Yes, yeah, that's what you just said. And then he goes on to say, the religions of the ancient world were all based upon nature worship, which is in a degenerated form 
has survived to our own clay as phallicism. <laughs> the worship of the parts and functions of the human body began in the later Lumerian period. So he starts to... I love how... I love, I love, <laughs> yeah, dude. I love how Manly P. Hall was into Atlantis. That's one of the things that most people always like. He's like, there was this advanced race of beings. Like He was like... I don't want to say he was the Alex Jones of his time, but you know what I'm saying. Very matter of fact. There was Lemuria, there was Mu, and there was Atlantis. (laughs) And for some people, it's all the the same kind of thing. But I I I love how... Okay. (laughs) I love how uh, he throws out Lemuria here, so matter of fact, as if it's just like an accepted thing that... And we're just... He doesn't even stop to explain that Lemuria is perhaps mythological or philosophical or it might be you know symbolic of something else he just throws it out like from the lemurian period (laughs) which basically means they're in the dinosaurs and then he goes our own clay as phallicism so which why is there an obelisk at the vatican why is there an obelisk in washington dc why is there a, a an obelisk? I mean, there's all they're all over the place, right? They're they're everywhere. Although, I mean, this book in particular, this pamphlet in particular, it made me re-question some of that because is it a phallus by nature? Like, is the the obelisk an actual phallus, or is it only a phallus because you're looking at it through your base nature? You know, you're looking at it uh, as if it's agriculture worship. Uh, you know, or like like these aerial uh, agricultural rites, or could it also be what he describes later as like that one path that brings you directly to the source, as opposed to kind of like winding around the mountain five times? Mm. So during the Atlantean epoch, this religion gave place to sun worship, but the new faith incorporated into it. Doctrines, many other, I got some typos in this, this copy that I have doctrines, yeah, mine many, too. many of the rituals and symbols of the previous belief. Yeah. So the buildings of temples in the form of the human body is custom common to all peoples. We know that I've talked about Pythagorean palaces. It is, it always goes back to the, the perfected form, which is man, the Vitruvian man. Everybody knows what that is. Because we are made, what, back to the beginning, in the image of God. So the proportions of man are supposedly perfect. And whenever you see these ancient buildings, they're laid out in a cross sort of thing. And they would talk about the occulted scaffolding and also the occulted colossus and giants that would and that would fill up these spaces within these buildings. And there's, I have drawings of that and everything with the Pythagorean palaces. And there's a reason. Do you have anything on like organs, Thomas, of why that organ is named an organ? Is that by design because it's like the organ of the church and it would kind of be like the organ of the man? Do you have anything on that? I don't. I mean, I don't have the etymology on the organ word. I don't think that it's it has. It's because the body relates to music, though. I think they both derive from kind of being the same sort of instrument within their different context. Mm. And and you were mentioning the cross here, as you looked that up too, there was a, a cool note that um, Hall has in here, and that's that the high altar is always relative to where the brain would be in the human body. So if you were mm-hmm. to stand out, you know, as a cross, 
and imagine I'm a building, you know, so you can kind of ignore the arms, but in relation, the high altar would be up here. So if you look at a, a huge skyscraper, where's that top level C-suite, you know, uh, executive decisions going on? It's usually going on on the very top, you know, sort of penthouse floors. And that's because the occult version of a building is the same version of our bodies. You know, like we've actually reconstructed a human body and turned that into a building. And in some cases, literally, if you look up human pillar, I'll, I won't take us too much on that tangent. But in some uh, older cultures, they would literally put a person into the found, bury them alive into the mm -hmm. foundation of a building uh, to sort of emphasize this approach. Yeah, to charge, because again, we're talking about cathedrals and churches. That's to charge the building. The building becomes this thing. And, and the organs, bro, organs are expensive. They say it costs 500000 to a million dollars for a an organ so how yeah much? that's why you got to go to costco for that stuff between though, five hundred thousand and a million dollars the cost of relocating refurbishing restoring renovating a vintage organ is typically two-thirds or three-fourths that of commissioning a new organ wow and what you're saying i'm gonna pull up here some some quick pictures because i want to show the people where in the of course when you look up pythagorean palaces my face pops up for the <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> I told you it went from like eighty bucks to like four hundred. You're actually right, dude. The so the the word organ as it relates to the body, it looks like uh, etymology is nineteen ten, a small specialized structure uh, from the Latin organella, which derives from instrument, tool, instrument, sense organ. So yeah, actually the 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 organs as we refer to them does sound like it might derive from the mm. organ that would be in a church first. Interesting because, and the, the way I, the reason I bring that up is because back then these buildings were alive to the, to the architect. They were like living beings. They were pets to them. And to the idea that they put things in them as organs and it's modeled after the human body would only make sense that that would also be there's a reason also why they the different pillars they modeled them after humans as well i've i need to do a whole episode i, I need to do so many episodes on so many things i don't know if i can find the picture put, though put it on the list here we go so so let me let me pull this up so you see here like this the the there's there's a lure behind this apparently the spartans would this is what they were saying that they would torture people by having them hold up this thing. You see the, the warrior They would have them sit there. And this reminds me of the movie 300 where Xerxes has that whole platform that's being carried by a whole bunch of people. Well, that's rooted in history. And he goes into all this jail Hersey in his book, Pythagorean palaces. And for those that haven't checked this out, it reads like an architect book and architecture, but I think there's more to it because he'll drop something here and there of like a call, like, Oh, you know, this, these doorways, only the initiated know where they are. I was like, wait, why? What are you, <laughs> what are you getting at, bro? I'm trying to find the, the Colossus in here. I probably won't be able to find it, but there's pictures of where it's modeled after these giants that they believed. No, I don't have it here. Anyways, you get the point. Uh, moving on here. You said, temple 
high altar would occupy the same position. All priests of the ancient world were anatomists, right? So very matter of fact, they were all anatomists. They all knew about anatomy. They well, I don't know if I don't know if he's saying that they all knew about anatomy. He's basic. They I think through all the power of analogy, re- though. They all recognized that all the function uh, functions of nature were reproduced in miniature in the human body. They therefore used man as the textbook, teaching their disciples that to understand man was to understand the universe. Which that's what the pagans were all about. Micro, macro. If you understood what happened at the micro level, you can understand what happens at the macro level as above so below man just if you can understand analogy exactly these wise men believe that every stars star in the heavens every element in the earth and every function in nature was represented by a corresponding center pole or activity within the human body so you know he's going hard in the paint and moving along here, I also have... Well, well hold on. Don't skip over all the, the spicy bits, too. Oh, because, you're going there? Okay, go cause, ahead. Because early on, even in, in part <laughs> one, is where Manly P. Hall basically breaks down how uh, you know Christians are so convinced that their beliefs are unique. So he just throws out a non... Just like a list after list after list. So one of them is that the Christian cross that's actually derived from... Hold Egypt on, and Thomas. India. Before you go there, because I have... <laughs> is there something spicy before that one, too? No, so... I love this. Religion in Atlantis and Egypt was taken much more seriously than it is today. So, bro, he's like... <laughs> Mere matter of fact. <laughs> back, in, back in my day in Atlantis, so before more respect. Before you get to the Christian cross, I highlighted some other stuff here. I put the temple dependent for its maintenance upon its secret wisdom, which gave its priest control over certain powers of nature and made them vastly superior in wisdom and understanding to the laity whom they controlled. These wise ones realized that there were... There was a great deal more involved in religion than the chanting of mantras and the singing of hymns. They realized that the path of salvation could be walked successfully only by those who had practical scientific knowledge of the occult functions of their own bodies. The anatomical symbolism which they evolved in, in order to perpetuate this understanding has come down to the modern Christianity, but the keys to, its apparently, to it apparently have been lost. It is a tragic situation for, oh bro, for religionists that they are surrounded by hundreds of symbols which they cannot understand. But it is still sadder that they have even forgotten that these symbols ever had any meaning other than the foolish interpretations which they themselves have concocted. Shots fired (laughs) by Manly P. Hall. He's like, yo. Dude. This is where I relate the most to him, though, too. I, like, I've, I feel that because he's basically saying that... And, and again, I'm going to bring up mushrooms here because I think that mushrooms is another good analogy of this where the original Eucharist was most likely some kind of psychedelic, but then over thousands and thousands of years, mm-hmm. it turned into a cracker. And the cracker doesn't do much other than act as a placeholder for this symbol that actually swap it out with god had actual yeah they, they just swapped it out you know um so i i think that there's a similar thing happened here with the symbolism in a lot of modern religions where they they had actual potency to them but when you just look at it and think that oh that's the thing that jesus died on when you see the cross mm-hmm. and you don't care about the equinox and you don't care about how it relates to every other religion 
which is that that list of different ones, then that's where you're losing the potency, right? It's like you're just taking empty gel caps because you see a gel cap and you think, oh, that's a pill that does something to me, not realizing that there's nothing inside of it. Yeah, the placebo effect is very powerful. And he goes on to here, right here, bro. He's going in. He's going in. This is what I, this is what I was saying at the beginning. The idea prevalent in the minds of Christians that their faith is the one and only truly inspired doctrine and that it came parentless into the world is unreasonable in the extreme. A study of comparative religions proves beyond doubt that Christianity has begged, borrowed, or stolen its philosophies and <laughs> concepts from the religions and philosophies of the ancient medieval pagan world. Among the religious symbols and allegories which belong to the world long ago before the coming of Christianity are few to which we would like to call your attention. So, and, I, and I've got the short list. Yeah, there you go, bro. You got the short list. <laughs> the short list is the Egyptian and Indian cross, the triple mitre from Mithras, the shepherd's crook from the Hermetic Mysteries, uh, the immaculate conception that came from India, the transfiguration that came from Persia, the holy trinity that came from the Brahmins, uh, the Virgin Mary being the mother of God found in a dozen other faiths that he mentions. And then he mentions also that over 20 other crucified saviors that get crucified on a cross that predate uh, Christianity. And then he mentions how even the church steeple that we were just uh, talking about, that itself is just another adaptation of an Egyptian obelisk, which that could be seen as some pretty Damn. big blasphemy as saying that the, the church steeple is basically a big Egyptian phallus. While the Christian devil is the Egyptian Typhon with certain modifications. And then he goes on to say the deeper one goes into the problem. The more he realizes that there is nothing new under the sun. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and he spells it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. All right. This brochure is devoted to the problem of explaining the relationship between existing existing between the symbolism of the ancient priest and the occult functions of the human body. We must first understand that all sacred writings are supposed, are supposed to be sealed with seven seals. In other words, it requires seven complete interpretations to understand fully the meaning of these ancient philosophical revelations, which we have liked to call, scrolling down, Holy, holy writ. writ. And, holy and I want to stop on that one because in, in my mind, this might have been the, the most important sentence out of this entire pamphlet, uh, explaining what the seven seals are. Because the seven seals is one of the most cryptic part of the book of Revelations, right? It's also mm -hmm. what David Koresh was trying to, to go through at Waco is he claimed that he had these seven seals and really? he was unlocking them one by one. Uh, and that's what his whole sort of cult was centered around. So, so to someone that actually knows how to unlock these seven seals, they can essentially bring on, you know, uh, the rapture or, or revelations, or at least if, if that's how you interpret the Bible. But the way that Hall is saying it here is that basically you have to be able to read the Bible from seven completely different vantage points. So mm -hmm. the one vantage point in this book is the analogy of the human body. So he says that you'd have to be able to read this the entire Bible but read it not as historical or geographical or even, you know, like philosophical, read it as a book of anatomy. Mm -hmm. And then when you're done doing that and you understand it as anatomy, then go back through it and read it as astrology uh, and then go back through and read it as, you know, and, and you have to be able to do that at least seven different times. And only then do you understand 
these ancient texts. And I don't know if he's talking specifically about the Bible. I assume he's talking about everything. So does that mean that we have to we have to reread this pamphlet <laughs> seven times? <laughs> Do we have to reread the secret teachings of all ages seven different times under seven different pretexts in order to fully grasp it? You know, he goes scripture, which would be pretty much anything, I guess, is not intended to be historical. Those who understand its literal meaning understand the least of its meanings. So, and there was a typo. So, <laughs> it is it is a well known fact that Shakespeare, for dramatic reasons, brought together in his plays characters who had actually lived hundreds of years apart. But Shakespeare was not writing history; he was penning drama. The same is true of the Bible. <laughs> Scripture leaves historians hopelessly involved in self contradictory chronological tables where the majority of historians will remain until the judgment day. Scripture furnishes excellent subject matter for debates and also ground for hair splitting over the meaning of terms in probable locations of unknown cities. Many of the biblical landmarks now pointed out by guides were, names, were named hundreds of years after the birth of Christ by pilgrims who suspended them of occupying sites, who suspected them of occupying sites somewhere near those mentioned in the Bible. All this may prove convincing to some, but to the thinker, it is conclusive evidence that history is the least important part of scripture. So we can rule it. So there's the historical aspect of it, which that's the bottom of the, of the totem pole. That's the, the least one they have to worry about according to daddy Manly P hall. And this one reminded me of, cause as he's writing this, I'm thinking about uh, comic books because <laughs> the, the same way that if you get lost in the dates, like you basically, when you're writing a work of fiction, right? You can write yourself into a hole or you've set up a certain timeline or certain rules that the characters abide by. And then you find yourself in a situation where you want something to happen or you want to explain some plot of the story. But it's like, oh, well, that guy's dead now or this person wasn't born yet. Or you have to kind of like massage all these things in. And as he's writing about people that get lost in like the literal histories and literal namings and everything, it makes me think of like those hardcore comic nerds that when like the the actual creator of a book will come out and then they'll announce like something there's there'll be a guy in like the back there was like a meme that happened at like a blizzard convention where someone's like excuse me but you know the ogres technically didn't live in that region until you know the <laughs> they're the strictly fall of canon or, yeah they're they're so strict to canon and you see it happen when like star wars will come out yes and there'll be people they get upset because you know that technically that person wasn't alive uh you know for three months until after this event happened so they couldn't have possibly been in the same jet with han solo or whatever i'm just you know paraphrasing some of that but i think that again like the power of analogy it's those people that get lost in like the specificity and the technicalities mm -hmm. and the canon and they can't and literally right like if in the you know if you're trying to break down the bible there's people that are just entirely focused on the canon and what makes sense within the canon but that's kind of maybe overlooking what the, the other six seals might be, right? Maybe yeah. you're focused on that one seal, but you're ignoring the other six. And that it, the seven is also part of alchemy, and that's why it took alchemists so many years to really, you, you know, you have to do the, the minor opus, the, 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 the minor work before you can achieve the magnum opus. And the magnum opus is the ultimate thing that you can achieve where you step outside of reality and the minor opus is pretty much you working on yourself. So and again, macro, macro, micro, you can kind of sort of pull that from there. And I love this part here <laughs> where he goes, 
When Empress Helena, mother of Constantine the Great, visited Jerusalem in 326 AD, she discovered that not that not only all traces of Christianity had already been lost, but that a temple dedicated to the goddess Venus stood on the hill now accepted as Mount Calvary. Less than 400 years after the death of Christ, there was apparently no one in the Holy Land who had ever heard of him. And he like puts an exclamation point. This does not necessarily imply that he never lived, but it certainly does indicate that the halo of miracles and supernatural atmosphere which, with which modern Christianity envelops him are largely mythological. There's some some typos here. Like all other religions, the Christian faith accumulated a weird collection of fantastic legends, which are its own worst enemies, for they have taken the simple moralist of Nazareth, the man who lived, who loved his fellow creatures and built around him a superstructure of idolatry, which loves no one and serves only itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the people who are listening to this who are hardcore, I posted a meme yesterday and some people went off on me that are hardcore like, religious just no listen i love jesus all right i believe in god i'm not a jesus hater how some of you think i am i just don't subscribe to mainstream religion okay so let's make that clear and we're covering manly p hall and some people might even say oh this is why freemasonry is satanic because look at him he was a free listen he's <laughs> my saying he's got a point but <laughs> <laughs> when you start to read between the lines, I'll and, say he's got a point. 100%. He's got, he's, no, he's got a point. One hundred percent. Because, because I think that that uh, the story, like Christianity, is essentially readapting, sort of like outdated. You know, your great 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 grandpa's uh, sort of religion and bringing <laughs> it up to something that you can relate to today. Just yeah. the way that Manly yeah. P. Hall takes some old text that's in German from the, you know the fourteenth century. And then he'll reread it and then say, like, okay, here's what he's saying. I kind of think that that's exactly what Christianity is. It's, it's basically saying, okay, here's these ancient peoples that no longer relate to any of us. And here's kind of what they're saying. And, and, and Manly P. Hall in this book, he actually says that Jesus himself learned these secrets from the Essenes. Oof. Who were basically Egyptians and Hindus. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones that, that gave him the knowledge that then he brought to his disciples and so that transfer of knowledge is really the like the big crux of the whole religion. And that might be why no one had heard of him 400 years later is because he wasn't necessarily walking on water and shooting lasers out of his fingertips. <laughs> uh, but he was able to take information that had never been passed across these huge cultural barriers, you know, of, of time and and um, sort of like warfare and just complete sort of ignorance he was able to break through that and bring it to a whole new sort of group of people where it was able to be fostered in a whole new way so i think i mean and i don't think that's that's anti-religious or anti-christian it's it's given the props to the person that was able to bring it forth right so that's why it's christianity it's it's a reference just like mm -hmm. uh lutheranism right it's not like you worship luther because he could walk on water martin luther it's just named after the guy that brought a new way of thinking into the public sphere, mm -hmm. into the public mind. So that's, it gets named after him, just like Christ brings this new way of thinking. So he gets that way of thinking named after him. It's, a, it's not a novel thing. That's how almost every philosophical school of thought sort of came, you know, the Neoplatonists are named after a guy, not because they think that Plato was an infallible God, but because they, they sort of followed his teachings. So he goes on to say some more stuff. And then 
it is a wonderful thing, for example, to study the life of Christ in the light of astronomy. So we have the astrological aspect of, of that second seal. That, yeah, that second seal. And I might doesn't drop down. all seven though. I was I was trying to count to see if You're, he if he went into seven different contexts. So I know? have anatomical, astrological, and then historical. I have those three. Which ones do you have? He also gets into chemical, like alchemical in here. Okay. And then uh and I've got some notes on the astrological. All right, so it is a wonderful thing, for example, to study the life of Christ in the light of astronomy, for he becomes the sun and his disciples the twelve signs of the zodiac. Among the constellations we find the scenes of his ministry and in the procession of the equinoxes, the story of his birth, growth, maturity, and death for men. And we know that Manly P. Hall is very into astrology, and apparently he taught Ronnie too astrology, I believe. He studied astrology with him. And he, I'm not going to get lost in the sauce, but he also said that astrology was like a way of being able to tell the future or something like that. I, I mean, I'm a, a more of a skeptic than most people. I th most of the time when I'm on a podcast, I feel like I'm the, the most skeptical person mm -hmm. on a panel. But uh, even me, I've, I've definitely come around on astrology and believe the same. Not because I think that no, just if you find gay, someone with your matching horoscope that you're like soulmates. <laughs> but what's your sign, Thomas? But it's being able to read the stars, and if you can read the stars, then you can kind of tell the future. Because if you know that every time these stars are in this position, then like a certain type of event happens, or a certain sort of movement mm. goes through society. And if you if you just sit back and observe that happening, you don't even have to tell the future. You just realize it over observing it for yourself and being able to tell. Oh, you know those those three stars are lined up right now. That means that you know. Uh, like the town's going to burn down in a year. What's and your sign? I think that I'm not going to reveal that on here. No, I'm a Gem I'm a Gemini. All right, let's let's look up our compatibility. Okay, <laughs> okay. Let's see what, what we're at, bro. Twenty. But it, but 20. see, this depends on if you think that all of the books are true and they aren't trying to lie to us. To oh shit, bro. Skew. <laughs> the Gemini Taurus couples. Uh, it's kind of gay. So. May uh, success may seem to be unlikely at first as their set differences may always take a toll on their decisions and views, but both, but as both accept and adapt to each other's points, they can find a great partner in each other. I guess. I mean, uh, that's one thing I like about you that, <laughs> that you're skeptical and sometimes it's funny as fuck that sometimes you go to disprove something and just end up proving it even more by trying to find shout out, out to adrenochrome <laughs> <laughs> so let's see friend let's do friendship let's see if we're good compatibility i'm just reading this and while you look up our, our love matches too he so, uh Taurus, check this out Taurus is unlike to take risk while gemini loves exploring new horizons the bull <laughs> craves security while the twins yearn for very variety therefore when a bond of friendship between these two signs does blossom it is usually centered around some mutual interest i mean yeah what we're saying is we should absolutely summon a demon on a, a live no, show we're I'm, not I'm ready i'm ready to adventure into that realm man. no no so low probability bro but the relationship has a chance of working out in reality if they are willing to compromise they must not shy. They must not shy away from adjusting to each other's behaviors, and should not try to mold their partner according to their wishes. So you see, Thomas, you gotta. Does it say in there how Taurus has to fucking reschedule the same uh, 
a cult book club episode like Can three or you? four times before. Because the Taurus has a family. Is that what you're trying to get at? <laughs> all right. All right. So continue, Thomas. What else did you have on uh, to add on to that? Do you have anything else? I, I think this is just a, a feather in the cap of part one out of this. What was it? Six part, five or six parts. Six. I uh, that he says that that Christ as found in the Gospels has been conventionalized until it agrees perfectly with the lives of dozens of world saviors. So again, he's saying that, that it's just been this thing that's been adopted and adapted and molded into something that's literally conventionalized, something that's nice and convenient for everybody uh, to work with. And I don't mm-hmm. think that takes away from it at all. If anything, that makes it all the more important because if the information that's this important that we've been trying to preserve it through ancient texts and, and books and gods since the dawn of, you know, civilization, essentially, why would the modern version of that be any less or more unless like Paul, uh, as Hall gets into here, if you're just looking at like the images and the stories and you're looking up like the word in the story and overlooking all the different ways to interpret it specifically through hermetic means, which means to read it as an analogy mm-hmm. and not as a literal interpretation. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say, all these myths come to us out of the most remote antiquity where the primitive races use the human body as the symbolic unit. And the gods and demons were personified out of the organs and functions of the body. Among certain Kabbalistic writers, the Holy Land is mapped out on the human body. And the various cities are shown as centers of consciousness in man. And then he goes, we cannot hope to cover all the ground. But if you can gain from this book a key to the situation, we hope you will pursue the line of thought until you have made it all-inclusive and opened at least one seal of the book of divine revelation. So he's like, so you got to be able to read the Bible at least through one lens where you know what you're looking for. I think is that's what he's saying there. Yeah. And part one was named the, the human body in symbolism. Part two, as we approach it here is named the three worlds. Part We're two. gonna have to book it because because I'm gonna go on a million tangents in in parts two, three, four, and five. Well, let's let's do it, bro. So according to the mystery schools, the human body is divided into three major parts. An analogy with this, the universe without is said to be compromised of three worlds: heaven, earth, and hell. Heaven is a superior world, and for some unknown reason, is supposed to be above. Although Ingersoll proved conclusively that owing to the rotation of the earth, up and down are always changing places. So who's Ingersoll? Is he talking about Ingersoll? I remember this from like seventh grade science, but really not much beyond that. Who the fuck is Ingersoll? Ingersoll Rand. <laughs> uh, well, so he's he's probably talking about Robert G. Ingersoll. Uh, who died in 1899, so 30 years before this was written. So it says, American lawyer, writer, orator of the golden age of free thought who campaigned in defense of agnosticism. Is that? What? That can't be the, the same no. one we're talking about, is it? See, he he's not even bringing up points or a bibliography or nothing. like. This is the thing about Hall. that He did never really did it, and it was because of the time, because somebody asked Ronnie Pontiac that, and he he gave his 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 thoughts on it but either way 
Nearly all religions teach that God dwells in the heavens. Their members are taught to believe that God is above them, so they raise their hands in prayers and lift their eyes to the heavens when they implore or petition him. And between heaven above and hell beneath is the earth, which Scandinavians call Midgard or the Middle Garden. It is suspended in place and forms the dwelling place of men and other living creatures. And we have it connected by the Rainbow Bridge, which the gods descend. This is very... Nordic, right? This is the the Nordic thought. This is his Loki and Thor and very Marv, Marvel University. Well, he he talks about the Hyperboreans a few times in this book too, which yeah. essentially is the North people that come from the North Pole. And he also goes on to one of my favorite tangents ever, which is about Santa Claus, uh, and he talks about how Santa Claus also represents the same myth, uh, this idea of Kundalini energy or the same myth of Christ coming down and Christ consciousness. Yeah, I read that on the North Pole episode that I did. And I love how he goes, <laughs> he says, with his spirit, a sprig of evergreen. I knew you were going to throw that one out there. Has a fine Masonic interpretation for those who wish to study it. <laughs> so the third one is when does he get into hell? Well, and, and by the way, that, uh, that reference he's mentioning the sprig of evergreen, um, being, and again, like we've talked about the, the meaning of the word evergreen before in the context of like making artwork or working on projects, something evergreen is something that's always ready to go. Like you don't mm. have to, it doesn't have to go in and out of season you don't have to wait for certain social movements or anything mm -hmm. in order to, to make something relevant. Something evergreen is always ready to go. And in this particular case, he's talking about Santa Claus coming down the chimney with a sprig of evergreen and is relating that to Hiram Abiff and the sprig of acacia. Mm, interesting. So we have here below in darkness and flames, torment and suffering is the world of hell, H-E-L, which we have interpreted as hell, H-E-L-L. -L. It is the great beneath for as surely as we think of heaven as up, we think of hell as down. While this middle place, earth, seems to, to low, seems below, I guess. The dividing line between them and hell are the forces of evil, the tearing, rendering, destroying powers, which are always bringing sorrow to the earth and which struggle untiringly to overthrow the throne of the gods in heaven. So he's talking pretty much about demons and the dark, so if the entire system is an anatomical myth for the heaven world of the ancients, the dome temple on the top of the mountain was the skull with its divine contents. This is the home of the gods and man. It is termed up because it occupies the northern, en the northern end of the human spine. The temple of the gods who rule the earth is said to be at the North Pole. <laughs> and this is the Santa Claus thing. And the well, it's not just a, a quick Santa Claus thing. There's there's a lot that goes into this, too, because because Rosicrucians also believe that Santa Claus represents Christ consciousness. I'm oversimplifying that. Um, really? But like, yeah. So so Christmas itself symbolizes initiation uh, and everyone looks at Christmas as being like the end of the year. But really, Christmas is the beginning. And it's it's that initiation because Christmas if you take away like the, the actual date, right? Don't get lost in the canon of dates and times, but Christmas represents 
that divine spark and Jesus being born, right? So that's the transfer of this outside knowledge coming into the physical plane. And so therefore it's, it's the starting point. Christmas is like, you know, some people think Monday is the beginning of the week and it's like, no, it's actually Sunday. It's sort of like that where Christmas is actually the start of the year. It's not new year's it's Christmas. It's when that, that consciousness comes down. And then the rest of this time is waiting for it to die. But by waiting for it to die in winter, that's actually when it gets released from its sort of mortal prison plane. So, so it, it talks about how the cycle of this Christmas is kind of the beginning of an entire universe. It's the beginning of a solar system or a new civilization, or in this case, the birth of a human being into the world. Because even at the end of this pamphlet, Palmer Hall himself talks about how inside of us, we're basically our little universes. And just like a little cell would look around and think, oh man, there's the sun up there and there's, you know, there's planets when, as it's looking at the organs, we're also that little cell and we look it up at a planet, but we're just, you know, part of another organism all the way up, right? We're just a homunculus controlling something. You said it, not me. I didn't drop homunculus today. You did. But, but, but Christmas in whatever context, whatever belief system, it's always a festival of a spiritual birth. That's exactly what Christmas is about. And Santa Claus is basically that Kundalini energy, right? He's that Christ consciousness coming down the ladder, coming down the, the, um, the chimney and then going into a human being. Interesting. I never thought about and it. He's like also that. a mushroom, which re- also works, right? The mushrooms are the seventh seal, I think. Yeah. So you look at Santa Claus <laughs> as a mushroom, right? You yeah. take it down the throat. It goes down into your body. Uh, and it's it's a nice little present. It's wrapped in white and red, just like an Amanita Muscaria is. And that unleashes this sort of new consciousness for you. Whoa. The same is true of the manna that descended to feed the children of Israel in the wilderness. For this manna is the substance which comes down the spinal cord from the brain. The Hindus symbolize the spine as the stem of the sacred lotus. Therefore, the skull and, and the and contents are symbolized by the flower. The spinal column is Jacob's ladder connecting heaven and earth. While its 33 segments are the degrees of masonry and the number of years of the life of Christ. Up these segments, the candidate ascends in consciousness to reach the temple of initiation located at the top of the mountain. It is in this dome room with the hole in the floor that the great mystery of great mystery initiations are given. The Himalayan mountains rise above the earth, representing the shoulders and upper half of the body. And we have here, they are the highest mountains of the world. Somewhere upon their summit stands a temple resting like the heavens of the Greeks upon the shoulders of Atlas. It is interesting to know that the atlas is the upper vertebrae of the human spine, which the condyles of the skull rest. In the brain, there are a number of caves, ventricles, and folds. And in them, according to Eastern legend, live the wise men, the yogis and hermits. And bro, when I was first reading this like forever ago, I looked all this up. And I looked it up because... I want to make sure what he's saying is true, like all these ventricles and stuff and the numbers that he's saying and all these stories that he's talking about. And I mean, they 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 line up, bro. The caves of the yogis are said to be located at the head of the Ganges River. Every religion has its sacred river to the Christians. It's the Jordan to the Egyptians. It is the Nile, while the Hindus is the the I'm hoping I'm saying that Ganges or Ganges, the sacred Ganges, river. Yeah. 
Ganges, the sacred river is the spinal canal, which has its source among the peaks of the mountains. The holy men in their retreat represent the spiritual site in the human brain and are the seven sleepers of the Quran who must remain in the darkness of their caves until the spirit revitalizes them. And that, that story I had never heard about that, the seven sleepers. And again, I mean, the brain is the upper room referred to in the Gospels where Jesus met his disciples. And it is said that the disciples themselves represent the 12 convolutions of the brain. <laughs> it is these 12 convolutions which later send their messages by means of the nerves into the body below to convert the Gentiles or preach the gospel in the Middle Earth. These 12 convolutions. The, uh, the, the tree of good, of good knowledge in the Garden of Eden was also said to have 12 different fruits on it. Really? Yeah. They don't, the Bible doesn't mention what the fruits are, but it, it does mention that there's 12. Interesting. I never heard that either. I never heard that, that before. So these 12 convolutions gather around the central opening in the brain, the third ventricle, which is the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat, where between the spreading wings of the angels, Jehovah talks with the high priest and where both day and night, the Shekinah's glory hovers. From this point, also the spirit finally ascends from Golgotha, the place in the skull. It is clairvoyant fact that the spirit not only leaves, but also enters the body through the crown of the head. Very matter of fact, probably giving rise to the story of Santa Claus in his chimney. So we have this Santa Claus again, very Masonic of him. The Trinity and man lives in the three great chambers of the human body from which they radiate their power throughout the three worlds. These centers are the brain, the heart and the reproductive system. These are the three main chambers of the pyramid and also the rooms in which arc given the enter, entered apprentice, fellow craft and master masons degrees of Blue Lodge Masonry. I don't know about this, so you don't have to trust me on this, I guess. In these three chambers dwell the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who are symbolized by the three-lettered word Aum. The transmutation, regeneration, and unfoldment of these three great centers result in the sounding of the lost word, which is the and great want I want to stop on that, too. Because uh, because th this is huge. Uh, when when he's breaking down the word Aum, the way that I've understood it is that you break it into the the three. It's it's worth understanding if you can if you can visualize it the same way that I, I guess I do. But you break it into the three letters, which also each letter A, U, and M, they each represent a different position, and it's how the 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 vibrations, the way that you can direct mm. them through your body. So when you say Ah. That's just like this unbridled energy. It's just raw potential because ah is coming directly from your, your vocal box, right? And it's just coming out into your mouth. So ah is like Aleph. That's that's it's coming the into your mouth of bro. sound. It's coming it's coming directly <laughs> into your mouth. Shout out, shout out in the comments. So so ah is that unrealized potential. Uh if you can imagine it, that's like the vibrations are going from your throat now to the back or, you know, to the back of your throat from your throat or sorry, the back of the top of your uh, mouth. It's like they're hitting and bouncing off the edge of it. And that's the, uh, and it, even after, as you say it out loud, ah, you can feel it down here and, uh, you can feel it coming like almost from the back of your head. And then, um, mm, with the M that's this vibration that now started in your throat, went to the top of your mouth, and now it's going down into your lips because, um, you can only make that noise when you put your lips together. And now the vibration is coming from you actually preventing that original sound from escaping your mouth. So when you go, um, like that, it's, 
it's uh, unrealized potential that you're then kind of harnessing by turning into the U. And then the M is where it makes your lips vibrate together. These three different concepts is a perfect analogy for like that original divine spark of ah, the uh, which is you're almost materializing it in your mouth so that you can prepare it for uh, sort of like that perfect ashlar stone. And then the mm is you actually crafting it. That's you taking full control over this mm. previously unrealized potential and turning it into something that only a human being or someone that is capable of language can turn it into because mm isn't just like a natural um, sound that you would make unless you kind of have developed some sort of uh, language. Yeah, and, and when people meditate, don't they go on, right? They, don't they... Exactly, and that's that's what makes this particular word so damn special. Oh, shit. Because you're, you're taking the energy of the universe, focusing it, and then using, like, actually harnessing it and taking control over it just through those three different letters. And it's also interesting because technically it's one syllable, right? Um, mm. It's like one thing, but it's three things. It's so it's the, the three is the one it's, it's the perfect analogy for like this Holy Trinity being God. And he goes, so he says the transmutation, regeneration and unfoldment of these three great centers result in the sounding of the lost word, which is the great secret of the Masonic order. Yikes. So from the spinal nerves comes, come impulses and life forces, which make this possible. Therefore, the Mason is told to consider carefully his substitute word, which means the marrow of the bone. And I don't know what that means, but you'll have to Google that one. Okay. I have. And then he goes on to say, I have in my possession a very remarkable skull, which originally rested on the shoulders (laughs) of a homicide. I like I love this idea that Manly Palmer Hall also had a collection of serial killer skulls just out memorabilia. of memorabilia that he just looked at. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So it is the high organic quality, but bears the curse of Cain. This individual You know the curse of Cain? The curse of Ham? Yeah. He this individual had a grudge which he nursed very carefully. Nursed grudges sometimes become very dangerous things. This person swore that when he met a certain man, he would cut his heart out and throw it in his face. A number of years passed. His hatred grew on the last meeting of his enemy. He attacked him and fulfilled his threat. He was hanged for the crime, but the skull bearing the testimony of the brain reveals a very interesting fact. The right half of the brain is under the control of mercury, the planet of intelligence. As a result, the crossing of the brain nerves at the base of the skull. It rules the left side of the body, the left half of the brain... Under the control of Mars, the spirit of anger and impulse rules the right side of the body, and likewise the strong right arm. As a as a result of his hatred and the rulership of Mars, which grew out of the hatred, the the left rear side of the brain is carefully twice the size as the right side. The individual allowed Mars to control his nature. The impetuosity of Mars ruled him, and he paid with his life for the mark of Cain. Science, I've got a visual for this one, too. Science knows there is a very narrow line between genius and insanity. For any dominating vice or virtue, man must pay with unbalance. Unbalance always distorts the viewpoint, and, dis- and distorted viewpoints are unfailingly productive of misery. Do you recognize this? No. What is that? It's uh, it's from Lady in the Water, which is an M. Night Shyamalan movie. No, I don't is, know that, bro. Have you- if you haven't seen it, you have to see it because it's basically just pure occultism. What's the, the name just, of the movie? 
uh, Lady in the Water. It's about uh, Paul Giamatti lives in this condo with a bunch of other tenants and they discover that there's like this ancient sort of like not quite a mermaid but like a, like an ancient sea goddess that's living in the pool um, but they have to save it from this wolf that tries to take it during the night it's it's all just steeped in occultism but when when manly palmer hall was talking about this person that the serial killer that he's got the skull i guess just chilling in his room um but that this person had a stronger right arm than the left arm this is this dude from this movie where for whatever reason he just trains one side of his body he only he only um <laughs> weight lifts with one arm so he's got this crazy jacked right arm but you can see his left arm is just like a normal you know scrawny little arm uh so so this guy i the first thing i thought of was like man he's talking about or he's decoding lady in the water movie right now from the past uh because this guy represents mars and that's that's sort of his role in this movie is to kind of be the fighter while everyone else is trying to solve puzzles and think things out or feel things out there's a medium in the movie this guy represents that brute force and, and force and that strength and just like that that essence of mars here interesting oh i mean again the cinemagicians at work and we have the skull is a switchboard which controls the activities of the body and he goes on to say the spinal cord is an elongation of the brain, and some authorities even claim the cord to be capable of intelligence through its entire length. This cord is the flaming sword which is supposed to have stood at the gates of the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is in the skull within which a tr is a tree bearing 12 manner of fruit, and that's what you mentioned earlier, which is the 12 convolutions of the brain. The brain is filled with vaulted chambers and passageways, which have their correspondence in the spans and arches of the temples, while the third ventricle is undoubtedly the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. Undoubtedly. The spinal cord is the serpent of the ancient and Central and South American. The savior god is called Quetzalcoatl. His name means feathered serpent. On this typo, it says leathered serpent. <laughs> and and that, that quote, um, the 12 kinds of fruit from the tree by the way it's it's revelation 22 and it says uh he showed me a river of water of life clear as a crystal coming from the throne of god and the lamb in the middle of its street and on either side of the river of the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit yielding fruit every month so he's talking about he doesn't he doesn't actually quote revelation 22 here but if you look at this you've got the um the river which is the spinal column and on either side which he goes on to talk in, in later bit here about the pineal and the pituitary gland as sort of being like on either side of this in a, in a sort of a, a symbolic way. And then finally at the end of it being that tree of life with the 12 kinds of fruit. So that's the spinal column connecting to the brain. Interesting. And we have here, I don't know if you have anything else on that Quetzalcoatl. And this has always been his, Symbol, this is the brazen serpent raised by Moses in the wilderness. The nine rattles on the tail of the serpent are called the number of man, and they represent the sacral and cockgeal co bones within whose centers the secret of human evolution is contained. And we have here, this is my favorite, and I know it's probably one that you looked upon, but the pituitary body which rests in the cella Tarika of the sphenoid bone directly behind and just a little below the bridge of the nose and connected to the third ventricle by a tiny tube 
is the feminine pole or negative center, which has charge of the expressions of the physical energy. And he goes on to endocrinology. The study of the ductless glands and their secretion is still in its experimental stage, but someday it will be revealed as the most important of all medical sciences. And, and you skipped over a part that I had bolded like five or six times because I thought it was another another like huge it. jewel that he was dropping. So he says that every organ of the physical body is reproduced in the brain where it can be traced by the law of analogy. So again, now he's saying that not only is the person an analogy to God, you know, God made man in his image at being the analogy, but now he's saying that the, the rest of your body is analogy to something that's happening within your brain. This is that like turtles all the way down sort of mentality. And he says that there are two embryonic human forms, meaning there's two little homunculi inside your brain. One of he them is a male and the other one's a female and they're twisted together in the brain and connected. And he relates this to the yin and yang. He relates it to, confirmed. he relates Certified it to black and white dragons. Homunculus. <laughs> to play it again. I didn't mean to step out. I didn't know you were going to play that one. Certified mother homunculus. <laughs> Good God. That's a homunculus. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> shout out to Thomas for making those for us. And he, and he, uh, he iterates on this. He says that one of these figures has its origin of expression in the pineal gland and the other in the pituitary body. So he's basically saying that the pineal gland is the male. It's like a little male homunculus in the brain and that the pituitary gland is the female um, little homunculus and that both of these are ductless glands and that they're both worth consideration because they they basically unlock all of human consciousness. And he says that, and I don't know if this one is true. I, I didn't have time to look up and, and investigate the physiology, but he says that it is known very matter of factly that these glands are larger and more active in higher grades of mentality than those of lower quality in certain congenial idiots. They are very small. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that these two glands uh, the pineal and the pituitary are called the head and the tail of the dragon of wisdom and that they are the copper and zinc poles of an electric circuit with the entire body as a battery. And I don't know if you've ever seen, like, that's basically how modern wet and dry cell batteries work is just copper and zinc plates uh, separated by, you know, a, a solution. And that causes electrons to be shed from one and go on to the other. And that's kind of what uh, creates the electricity. So he's, man, in, in such a, an eloquent way, just that uh, Hulk is known to do, he's basically saying that the pituitary and the pineal gland are the yin and yang. It's the male and the female. And it's the positive and negative poles of a battery all in like he drops all this in like three sentences, and you could just like read over it quickly. But this feels like, you know, you could have a, a four hour discussion on just this topic itself. Where where are you at right now? Because I lost where you it were was. At. It was right before um, the pituitary oh, body. The body has, OK, OK, OK. I got you. I got you. And then he goes on. This is one of my favorite parts. I've quoted this before a whole bunch of times. Oh, my PDF viewer is crashing on me, I think. While, while you sort that out, he also has a list of all the different things that have been referenced as the pituitary gland. And I hadn't heard of almost any of these before. Um, yeah, go but for he it. Says that, crashing. Hold on. So the pituitary gland was known by the following symbols in the ancient world. A alchemical retort, the mouth of a dragon, 
the Virgin Mary, the Holy Grail, the Lunar Crescent, the Laver of Purification, one of the Cherubim of the Arch, the Isis of Egypt, the Raja of India, and a fish's mouth. And I've and I've got a, a picture here. Let's see if I can share it. Got to pull up that, your screen. Uh, it um. It was this. There was a scribing in this book about how the pituitary gland is looks like a like a female sex organ essentially. That's it, to me. It almost looks like little balls. Hanging, yeah, that's, that's a sack, bro. If, if you but if you look at it from the right angle, right, it's like two things that are kind of open and and waiting mm. for something to to penetrate. Nice. Whereas the pineal gland is the opposite. The pineal gland, um, it's got right here. If you look at this one all the way zoomed in, this one's supposed to be a little bit more phallic. Okay. Uh, specifically, this little this little dangler at the very bottom. This is like the the foot of the dragon, I guess. Well, that foot of the dragon is seen as it being representative phallic, whereas that pituitary is sort of the, the feminine quality. Mm -hmm. So he's even mentioning that the actual you know makeup of the organs themselves reflect this this concept that he's going into. Uh, dude, I've I've talked about this a whole bunch of times before. Well, I don't know about a whole bunch of times, but he goes on to say that the the Egyptian an, an antiquities mentions in one of his works that the Egyptian custom of tying pine cones to the top of their heads. He states that this is in the papyrus rolls. This comes from the fastening of the top of the heads to the of the dead when taken into the presence of. Oh, never mind. Hold on. Uh, he talks about this where the where it goes over the third eye or something like that. Let's see here. So he's talking well, he, about he does it with the snake. He, so it's the pineal, the pine cone that they would put on the head. He talks about um, symbolizes the pineal gland. Fat. Yes, and then also they would put the um, the snake uh, on like their little headset that yes. would cover where the pineal gland would come out of. And then he says and, that the the American Indian with his feather originally uh symbolic of the spiritual perception so almost like you know the the typical stereotypical indian with it's the an antenna bro that thing's a freaking spiritual antenna i do i didn't even know that so we have here one of my favorite ones we are told that ages ago the pineal gland was an organ of the sense orientation by which man cognized the spiritual world but that with the coming of the material senses and the two objective eyes, it ceased to be used. And during the time of Lemurian, of the Lemurian race, retreated to its present position in the brain. It is said that children recapitulating their previous periods of evolution have a limited use of the third eye up, in the, up until their seventh year. At which time the skull bones grow together. We know this is true. This is like anatomy this accounts for the semi clairvoyant condition of children who are far more sensitive than adults along psychic lines the pineal gland is supposed to secrete an oil which is called resin the life of the pine tree this word is said to be involved in the origin of the rosicrucians who were working with the secretions of the pineal gland and seeking to open the eye single for it is said in scripture the light of the body is the eye if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be filled with light. You can add that to your book, bro. Your your no, your no. I, and I looked, I looked this up because um, the pineal gland and the adrenal glands are forever linked in a lot of this like conspiratorial realm. So I've had to look into this a few times. And this oil or this resin, 
the thing that actually happens in the human body is that's melatonin. That's the thing that helps regulate your circadian rhythm, helps get you to sleep. That's what people take. Uh, like the natural sleeping pills are basically melatonin pills. And that's also a pigment that gets produced um, that's that's related to name, um, melanin that comes from adrenochrome de you know, decomposing. But when I looked up the Rosicrucian text version of this, because he says that this word is said to be involved in the origin of the Rosicrucians who were, you know, working on secretions of the pineal gland. So the Rosicrucian text, they break down even further. They, they basically link every major organ to a different planet. So they've got the pituitary as Uranus. The pineal is Neptune. The thyroid gland is ruled by Mercury. The thymus by Venus. The spleen by the sun. And then the adrenal glands by Jupiter. Um, and then on top of that, it mentions how the, the colors of the different secretions of these organs, um, and I don't know, I'll, I want to mention it now and we'll get into it when it comes up again, but basically that the pineal gland secretes a yellow-like substance while the pituitary uh, secretes like a milky white-like substance, which then gets related to the milk and honey of the Bible. Um, so that it's really talking about the mixture of these two vital organs in the creation of consciousness and that that, that creation of consciousness starts in the solar plexus so that essentially every, every person that has a spiritual awakening at some point, they themselves are being impregnated by uh, Joseph and Mary represented by the two secretions of these different organs. And this is like he deep, deep, heavy, like Rosicrucian um, anatomical symbology that that we can keep getting into in, in a, a little bit. Yeah. And somebody I had a guest on that. She told me that what if the virginal birth was right in here and not so much the anatomy, because again, we're focusing on peeling back the layers of allegory and symbolism. And, and what I was talking about with the jewel between the eyes, just above the root of the nose is spreading in the frontal bone of the skull, which is called the frontal sinus. The slight bulge caused by the spreading of this bone is known as phrenology phrenology as the seat of the individuality it is here that the jewels are placed on the foreheads of the buddhas and it is also from this point that the serpent rose from the crown of the ancient egyptians so that's why the snake that's what i was trying to get at with the previous one uh, several of the mystery schools teach that this is the seat of jehovah in the human body while his functions is through the generative system his center of consciousness as a part of the spirit of man is supposed to be located in the sea of blue, either called the veil of his, etc., etc. He goes on to say the cross, of course, represents the human body. The upper limb of it is the head of man rising above the horizon line of his outstretched arms. And well, hold on, hold on. You're, you're skipping ahead already to the cross here because there, dude, he, he goes hard. And uh, I had to, I had to like sidestep this and look up some other sources. But he says that the pineal gland is the tail of the dragon and has tiny finger-like protuberances at one end. And then he says that, that the pineal gland is also called Joseph. So that's where I was like, Who's, who calls the pineal gland Joseph? Because <laughs> he just throws it in there again, very yeah. matter-of-factly, and you just keep reading over. I don't know if you saw that part. No, I did, but I thought you mentioned it earlier when you were breaking down the well, different well, so names. Well, so the, the the names actually comes from from what I can understand this research by a guy named George W. Carey, who was uh, really popular with like the homeopathic movement and like the very early New Age movement. 
And he actually writes on this exactly. And I think that it's either sharing the same source as Hall, or maybe this is the source of Hall. I'm not, I'm not convinced. But he says that the pineal gland is cone-shaped and secretes a yellow or golden liquid. The pituitary body opposite of it, again, this is on the other, the other side of the, the river, right, is ellipsoid in shape. Um, and it contains a whitish secretion like milk. The fluids found in both of these bodies come from the same source, the claustrum, which means the barrier, and it's referred to as the cloister for the very good reason that a precious and holy thing is secreted and secluded here. And then even George W. Carey drops Santa Claus into the mix in his description, and he says that Santa Claus is just another term for this precious fluid, which is a holy gift uh, in the body of each of us. And he says that this fluid, which is a, again a mixture of the yellow, um, the the yellow liquid that comes from the pineal gland and the milky liquid that comes from the pituitary gland, that these bring into the special laboratory of the head, and takes on different colors as the pineal gland becomes yellow and has electric properties, and the pituitary body having a milk-like fluid has magnetic properties. And this is where he says the two glands are the male and the female, the Joseph and Mary of the physical body the parents of the spiritual soul, the sun born in the solar plexus of each human being, which commences at exactly the age 12. Age 12. Hmm. Isn't that like and, when you're going through puberty, right? And then he, well, and then he says, I was looking up when do kids stop believing in Santa <laughs> Claus and it's right around uh, age like eight and a half, I guess. That seems a little bit late, but maybe not. Yeah. When did but, you and, stop believing? Uh, probably actually probably about eight. <laughs> I don't I remember a late, a late bloomer, but he, and he says again, this is, um, uh, what's his name? George W. Carey, that yellow and white material is the milk and the honey referred to in the Bible and the children of Israel being given the promise to return to this land flowing with milk and honey. And then it also mentions that at the, after it reaches the solar plexus, it gets there through something called the semi lunar ganglia which is the Bethlehem of the physical body because Bethlehem refers to a house of bread. So when he says, I am the bread of life as an allegory, mm. he's talking about this area of the body and that, um, that the, basically this little solar plexus, that's where you get like punched. Usually people say they get the wind knocked out of them. Yeah. They say they got hit in like the solar plexus. Well, technically the solar plexus is a cave. It's this little thimble shaped cave that's in your body. And that's where, this Christ consciousness essentially goes um, originally. It starts in the solar plexus and then you rise up your consciousness to put it into your head where it's supposed to be. So people that are base or demonic that he says in here, they're essentially being ruled by their animal instincts. And that's because the consciousness is like, you're not thinking with your balls, you're thinking with your solar plexus. And that if you stay in that animal realm where everything affects you just through your nervous system instead, like, cause if you have some outside, uh, vision or feelings or something is happening if all you do is process it through your animal body which is going through the solar plexus then you basically are in the world of demons you're just in a living hell but if you can process that and let it go up into your brain first and then use like your human brain to think through things before you act on it that's the main difference i, I mean i think that's what i was getting from it where <laughs> he's trying to describe like if you live in the world of demons or if you live in hell it's yeah. because solar plexus versus pineal gland poles and holes so do you have anything else between i that? do i do because there's also a quote from 
Augusta Foss Heindel, and she says that the pineal gland has the appearance of a tiny male organ, while the pituitary body with its mouth open is similar to a female organ, so that in science, which is trying to prove that these organs are directly connected through functions of the brain, is right, and they have a direct influence upon man from the two ends of the spinal cord. And she says, for does not the sex pervert in time become a degenerate? Conservation of these vital fluids and a chaste life strengthen the brain where these two glands become enlarged, but in the sensationalist, they atrophy. So like the nofap crowd, they have bigger pituitary and pineal glands because they haven't been releasing their milk and honey secretions just on every single whim. Whereas if you do that, then then according to Augusta Foss Heindel, you're, there's an actual physical change in these glands and the amount of you know special oils that they can secrete if you're just constantly uh, embracing you know physical sensation all the time. So it's better to hold it in. Semen retention is what essentially. I mean, it, it sounds like that's a veiled, but also she was married to another occultist, so that might have just been her way of been like, you know, stop it with this sex magic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what was her name? Keep the title. Augusta Foss Heindel. She was the the wife of Max Heindel. Uh, And Max Heindel is one of the ones that helped bring Rosicrucianism to the West and to America specifically because he realized that for whatever reason, the American mindset was more pragmatic and logical and they didn't really appeal as much to the woo-woo occultism of the the olden world, you know, like the like sort of. Uh, European thinking. So he's the one that actually made Rosicrucianism accessible to Americans. And he claims that th- this, this gave me a flashback to the uh, world of Cart- you know, the Cartesian voyage. Cause he says that he was visited by the vital body of a spiritual being that identified himself as the older brother of the Rosicrucian order that formed in 1313 and had no connection to the modern day, group that called himself that name which was like when cart you know the cartesian sort of um effigy shows up and he's like hey you know i'm a real cartesian all these other guys that claim cartesian like they're faking it because they don't actually know anything about it this guy is saying like i was visited by the og rosicrucian in the astral realm and he told me that like none of these modern day rosicrucians know what the hell's going on and here's the real truth Bro. And then he also said that he, he put together a secret order of 12 elder brothers around uh, they gathered around a 13th who was an invisible head. And he writes about this in a book called the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception from 1909. So I'm going to drop it here. We're, I'm adding that one to the list too. the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. You're dropping all these nuggets, bro. Holding out on me, dude. You said 1909? 1909, yeah, by Max Heindel. But all all three of these were all talking about these these secretions yeah. that come from the pineal gland and the pituitary gland and how they combine and that the, the combination of these actual chemicals has something to do with the origin of consciousness. Interesting. Wow. Do you, do you have it, uh, the, you want to read the cross part? Have you gotten there yet? Uh, let's see. I don't know if you have oh. anything before then. Well, 
So the Rosicrucians were linking all the planets to the different um, organs of the body for different reasons. And, and the one that I thought that was interesting is that Uranus is the one that's linked to the pituitary gland. Uranus. And the, and the re- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Uranus. You can't say it without it. <laughs> but that Uranus is the first of the outer planets, and therefore it represents stepping outside of consensus reality which is governed by saturn so once you get to saturn Mm -hmm. saturn controls our reality and how we interpret this physical world and this material world but once you venture outside of saturn uranus is that first step and this is as they're explaining the pituitary gland and that secretion is your first step at an outside consciousness like another realm that exists outside this physical medium realm that we're in that basically stops at saturn like saturn's um, control over our illusions and our senses stops there and then Uranus is that first step into the outside well then he also mentions I'm not going to get into every single planet because we could be here forever but he mentions that Pluto is the furthest planet away from the sun and it's also the center of self-awareness but it's the most difficult one to work with and this is because, Max right uh, this is just Rosicrucianism in general I don't know exactly who put all these different pieces together technically yeah it came from the astral realm in the year 1313 or something <laughs> uh from the 12 elders and the and the 13 invisible head um but he but he mentions that and then it leads into the cross um because essentially pluto represents your instincts the things that you can't just like intentionally think about just through being conscious or unconscious it like these are the things that happen on an individual level that don't apply to everybody um, so, so basically that if Pluto is manifesting your life, this is when you're being, you're observing what your compulsions are and what your like vices and virtues are by seeing it happen and then acting on it afterwards. So it, it's, uh, it's interesting because again, it's like Uranus and the pituitary gland, these act on you and create the consciousness. Um, and then the pineal gland also works in that system. But then as you get farther out, as you age, according to hall and and this book where it's like once you hit the age 12 essentially there's also these references where these organs literally in your body they start to atrophy this is where your pineal gland Mm -hmm. starts to calcify a little bit this is where the thymus gland um stops producing i think certain types of white blood cells um and i'm not an anatomist i'm probably getting some of that wrong but there's these different aspects and organs that are related to these planets they line up and this is one of those seals right this is reading anatomy through the lens of astrology like you don't have to read the bible through these lens you can just if you're an expert in anatomy or an expert in astrology this is an examples of how you can use that hermetic principle of as above so below and understand both of them mm-hmm. yeah and you really have to study to know and remember all the other interpretations because i don't know enough about rosicrucianism how you're bringing this stuff up and it's it makes sense because it's very it's very gnostic in nature because they believe that every single celestial body or there's seven of the celestial bodies that you're able to observe they they attribute that to different dimensions and each one was ruled by a different demon or daemon or entity or whatever it was so very lovecraftian and very and obviously rosicrucianism came way after all these other ones that that really kick-started everything else so the cross represents the human body, the upper limb, horizontal. As they already stated, the great churches and cathedrals of the world have been built in the form of a. I got some typos in here. 
Ixis and contain where the head should be, the altar upon which arc burning lighted candles. These candles are symbolic of of another type of spiritual sense centers in the brain, while the custom of placing a rose window over the altar suggests a soft place in the top of the skull. The skull, the upper room, is the sanctum, sanctorum of the Masonic temple, and it it only the pure and to it only the pure can aspire. So you got some more Mason, and I forgot to read the because I've seen different names for this book. We have the occult anatomy of man. Then we have another one that is the occult anatomy of man to which is added a treaty on occult masonry by Manly Palmer Hall. So, and then he probably took that off again after he became a Mason. Yeah, exactly. Erase that part. So we have the wing bone, which medical science knows as the sphenoid, is the Egyptian scarab carrying in its cause the pituitary body and also bearing aloft the gleaming spark of immortality located in the frontal sinus. He goes, we are told in ancient mythologies that the gods came down from heaven and walked with men, instructing them in the arts and sciences and sciences in a similar way. The godlike powers in man descend from the heaven world of his brain to carry on the work of constructing and reconstructing natural substances. And then he goes on to say, man is an in- inverted plant. <laughs> I love that. Gaining nour- his nourishment from the sun as the plant does from the earth. As the life of the plant ascends, it stems its stem to nourish its leaves and branches. So the life of man rooted in the brain descends to produce the same result. This life, Descending is symbolized as the world saviors who come down into the world to die for men. Later, these lives are returned again to the brain where they glorify man before all the worlds of creation. So much for the story of the brain. Now let us consider the next of man's marvelous parts, namely the spinal column, which is part number three, the spinal column. Connecting the two worlds, heaven above and the sphere of darkness below is the spinal column, a chain of 33 segments protecting within them the spinal cord. This ladder of bones plays a very important part in religious symbolism of the ancients. It is often referred to as the winding road or stairway. Sometimes it is called the serpent. At other times, the wand or scepter. And he also mentions that kundalini is a Sanskrit word for a serpentine or twisting gas or force. So Mm -hmm. that's where this, uh, where he's going to start bringing up this kind of like snake symbolism of this, you know, of kind of like the two snakes of the caduceus. Did you know that there was a, he goes on to hear that ancient Hindus have a legend concerning the goddess kundalini. Is that a god for them? Kundalini? You're asking the wrong person. I, I know about Kundalini energy, which is technically in this context is like Christ consciousness. Yes, yes. So in which it is said that she descended by means of a ladder or cord from heaven to a little island floating in the great sea. And then we have here Sodom Sodom and Gomorrah. There your is favorite. a small plexus in the region of the kidneys called the Sagittarial plexus, which the ancients knew as the city of Tarsus, where St. Paul fought for the beast. Higher occultism teaches that the latter blossom, the lotus blossoms nerve centers on the spine 
our reflections are negative poles bearing witness of seven great positive centers of consciousness located in the brain. These seven function through the centers of on the spine in the approximately on the spine in approximately the same way that the seven spirits before the throne function through the planetary bodies. So it's kind of like what you were saying yesterday, uh, yesterday earlier with the Rosicrucians and the bodies and the celestial spheres that they all have their own different function. And well, well I want to get to my favorite part of this whole section, which was where um, Hall starts throwing shade at mediums. Oh yes, describing the difference <laughs> the clairvoyant, between clairvoyance yeah. and mediums. And it, honestly, before I read this, I didn't even really know there no, was the a difference. huge difference between yeah. the two. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, that one's further down. Go ahead. So I got a. Well, I mean, we've got like twenty minutes here, and like another four sections. So I figured we could start hitting the yeah. highlights. Let's do it. So he mentions that a clairvoyant is someone that has raised their spinal serpent into the brain. And by that growth, earned the right of perceiving <laughs> invisible worlds with the aid of the third eye or the pineal gland, right? So that's the person that goes from the animal world and is able to rise from the solar plexus into the pineal. That's, that's that representation of enlightenment, essentially, in a very direct way. And he mentions that the medium, however, uses the solar plexus as a mirror, and upon its sensitive nerves are reflected pictures recorded in the invisible ethers. And he says, there are a hundred mediums to every one clairvoyant for a clairvoyant can become such only through self mastery and the exertion of tremendous power while the weaker and sickly and nervous individual, no, sorry, while the weaker, the more sickly and the more nervous an individual is the better medium he makes. The clairvoyant is unfolding his mind by filling it with useful knowledge while the first instruction given to a would be medium is make your mind a blank. And this one I never heard of before, and I love this already because the medium are the ones that, like, you're literally, you're just saying, like, my body's a vessel, come into me, you know, use me as a puppet to some greater spirit, whereas a clairvoyant is talking to the spirit, not letting them take over their body, right? This is the difference between zapping out to uh, to the voyage of Cartesius and letting a possible demon take over your body and move it around while you're you're out of the picture, uh, versus a clairvoyant wouldn't ever have to leave their body. They could just kind of talk directly to that astral realm. That's how I interpreted this, at least. Yeah, no, and I, I didn't know the difference uh, that there was two different ones. But yeah, you're saying. he goes into more detail and he, he throws so many shots at people that call themselves mediums. It's it's entertaining to read that just for it alone. Are you, are you going to read those? No, I mean, I want to I want to keep moving, man, because we've got way more tangents we can get onto. So. Let's see here where we at. We have the mediums, the reason mediumship through the solar plexus regression, et cetera, et cetera. Man has always liked to lean on external things. He hates to face each problem and solve it with the brain God gave him. He consequently leans on the invisible world, asking them to help him to accomplish the labors, which he should do by his own efforts. <laughs> and then we have here, I'd highlight the stuff on the tonsils and then... <laughs> Let's most, just say it's very spicy. Most tonsils are infected as the result of eating of children eating too many sweets during the first years of life. So the moral so you're, is you're, don't you're skipping the spicy part. Don't cut out the tonsils, cut out the sweets. What spicy part? Which one are you getting at? Well, he's also talking about um, giving children. Uh, where the, where was that at? Medi- medical boosters. 
Oh hell, I'll just I'll just read it. <laughs> yeah, I'll read it because I I didn't highlight that. I don't think. I know what you're okay, talking. You know, about. I didn't I didn't either because I didn't want to get I want to get this video flagged. But basically, <laughs> da- Daddy Hall was basically saying. Um, We've don't talked about your, it before where he yeah, was don't inject your kids with things. Yeah, with stuff. So we'll just leave it at that. Don't do it. That's what that's what Daddy Hall said in the, in the 1920s. He's basically saying it, it separates you from uh, possibly reaching enlightenment. So they go, he goes through either ignorance or indulgence. They allow the infantile consciousness as yet uncontrolled by the higher vehicles to destroy itself before life fairly begins. When children are sick during the early years of life, physicians will often find the cause of the ailment in the parent and the father or mother, not the child. Should be do- should be dosed with pills. <laughs> if the stomach is kept in proper condition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yes, don't. It says he apparently had a reason for making them, but these poor, unoffending organs have become a gold mine to medical scientists yep. who remove them at the slightest provocation. He's talking about the yep. tonsils. And, oh, yeah, and he also uh, extends that to the uh, appendix too, where yes. people thought that it wasn't made for anything, but it was actually to help um, creatures that used to be on four that are now standing upright. It has to do with maintaining the way that your esophagus works, according to Hall, which which was a, a whole anatomy lesson I wasn't expecting to get. So I'm obviously going to read my favorite part in this entire fucking pamphlet, which is. <sighs> Paracelsus, Paracelsus, the great <laughs> Swiss physician, who after many years in the Far East returned to Switzerland to teach medicine, first gave to the European world its concept of nature spirits. He taught that the functions of nature were under the control of little creatures who were invisible to the normal senses, but who, working through the kingdoms of life, minerals, plants, animals, and parts of the human body, kept all of these evolved kept all of these evolving in an intelligent way under the control of the great celestial hierarchy of Scorpio, which is charge of all body building, who is in charge of all body building and nature body building. Yeah. <laughs> He's out there. <laughs> these elements are the invisible intelligence intelligences governing the human body and its functions. So we got Paracelsus with their little, hold on. Homunculus confirmed. Good God, that's a homunculus. So, Daddy Hall said it, not me. When And this one reminded me, too, when earlier in this pamphlet where he talked about the these glands in your head, like the pineal gland, for example, that originally you were able to perceive light directly through the pineal gland and you didn't have to rely on your eyes. Um, but then the invention of the material world and fire, he gives an example of, your pineal gland wouldn't stop you from like walking directly into a fire and dying from it. So then the, the sense of um, light and being able to detect light gets dispersed throughout the rest of your skin. So now all of a sudden you can feel the warmth of fire, but through that, it basically took that concentrated sense that what used to be only delegated by the pineal gland and dispersed it through the rest of your body through the skin. And he makes a mention that, uh, further evolution might actually start to happen where we might be able to smell, taste, uh, see, and hear things through our skin as well as those senses sort of leave <laughs> the center, like little central regions of your brain and get dispersed throughout. So there might be a, a certain uh, future when like you can touch something to smell it or just you'd be able to smell it if it just like came in contact with your skin itself. 
Interesting. I'm sure the Atlanteans are able to do that. Do you have anything before we get to part four, the Infernal Worlds? Let's let's keep it rolling. All right. So part four, the Infernal Worlds. At the base of the spine is located the throne of the Lord, form commonly called Jehovah and Shiva. The Linga in his symbol is his symbol. He rides the great bull of earthiness. His daughter is death and destruction. Yet he is not a thing of evil. He builds the bodies which give us the power of function in the lower world. He crystallized- I think he had to throw that one in there for the Christians. That line there. <laughs> he his, crystallizes. His daughter is death and destruction. Yet yeah. he is not a thing of evil. Like that was uh, an emphasis there. He crystallizes them around lines of forces. Geometry is the skeleton, and all the bodies which he builds are geometric prongs, geometric angles, crystallized into rocks and stones. Gradually, the crystallization which builds bodies into the world causes them to become too dense and unyielding to respond to the subtle impressions from the spiritual consciousness. And slowly they turn to stone, and death is the result of the same cause that brought the body into the world. And the early races of Earth worshipped the procreative attributes of life they felt that the highest expression of life was the power of giving still another life to the world therefore he's talking about fertility cults here agriculture cults therefore the principle of life giving was personified into a deity who gave life to all things or rather brought into manifestation the latent life which could not grow or unfold in the physical world without the vehicle of dense substance so well and and i want to just skip over this by just reading it verbatim because he, I think this is an important distinction because what he's basically saying in my mind here is that the original occulted God was the one that actually brought this mm-hmm. sort of Christ consciousness into the world. But over time, that that sort of essence of of um, like enlightenment or consciousness that gets lost. And then instead, people start worshiping just the concept of life itself, mm-hmm. which turns into fertility cults. And they mentioned that this is this is almost like the patriarchy versus the matriarchy, right? Like like the the male energy is supposed to be that consciousness coming in, whereas the female energy is is life itself, actually being able to foster and create life. But because there's a difference, not in my words, but in like these in these occult sort of interpretations, that um, just because you can create life does like great, you can create create a homunculus, right? But until you can actually invoke a spirit and put a, a spirit into that yeah. body, a soul, that's the real life. That's the thing that should actually be venerated and not just the creation of life, period. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the schism that I think happens way long ago. He's talking here about the early races of Earth worship the appropriate attributes of life. <laughs> well that maybe Atlantis would have been the the patriarchal society that believed in the Christ consciousness as being worthy of their veneration but then like these pagans and these you know these sort of um like i guess he calls them like idiots or imbeciles <laughs> earlier on uh that they're the ones that look at like oh those two sex organs when you bump those two sex organs together a baby comes out so therefore let's just worship the sex organs as opposed to what makes this baby different than a homunculus my thing is acting up again you want to take over for this part and Yes, yeah, so, so actually, right at the end of that line is the, the next big one that I bolded. And he says, to the occultist, birth is death and death is an awakening. The mystics of ancient days taught that to be born into the physical world was actually to enter into a tomb. For there's no other plane of nature so unresponsive and so limited as the earth world. 
Time and distance are prison bars, chaining the soul to a narrow environment. Heat and cold torment the soul. Age deprives it of its faculties, and man's life is but a preparation for death. <laughs> As life is lived under the shadow of death, they taught that it is a mockery, a hollow thing, gilded to the careless eye, but tarnished and worm-eaten upon examination. The physical body became a, um, a tire tomb, the place in which a burial and where a spirit lays, awaiting the day of liberation, when as a virgin spark it should arise again from broken from that urn of clay. That's the second time that he mentions that, that urn of clay. And in, this, in the previous case, he was talking about people like worshiping that urn of clay. But in this case, that urn is actually the prison. That's the thing that's keeping you. And, and again, hearkening back to the, the Cartesian voyage episode, one of the things that stood out to me is when the guy writing the book that was going on all of these different astrological sort of adventures with, uh, with uh, Rene Descartes and his mentor, when he came back, the men, he was basically saying that first he was scared that when he left his body, he wouldn't be able to get back into his body. Therefore that he was going to be dead forever. But then when he actually was done with his little adventure and he was ready to come back home, he was even more scared because he thought, what if I jump back into my body and I'm never able to get back out of it again and go out into this astral realm and like learn everything. And in that case, that, that reminds me of this here where they're saying that that would actually be the, the human body being a prison. Like it's locking you into aging and death and time. Whereas when you're outside of it, you're free from all of this stuff. So Manly P. Hall, again, to the occultist, birth is death and death is an awakening. And it's, it's the Santa Claus all over again. Yikes. And this also, when he says the physical body became the sepulcher, is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. Tire tomb in place of the burial in which the... He goes, where he said about the... But tarnished and wormy in upon close examination. They say that when he died, his body was found and had like flies or ants coming out of like all his crevices. Like it was kind of weird, so... I mean, that kind of happens, though, right? I don't know, bro. Like, he obviously he was murdered, but we, we can talk about that on another episode. But I just found that weird. Do you have anything else on? Yeah, so the, the last thing that he mentions, he says, Among most peoples, a demon is symbolized as part animal and part human. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert some words that, that I think belonged in here. He says, Because he dwells in the animal nature of man, and is controlled by their appetites, their likes, their desires, their hates and fears. You need no further damnation for you've built your own hell and are experiencing its torments. So this is, I think this gives some insight as to what Manly P. Hall thought of when it came to the concepts of like heaven and hell and demons and angels. He's basically saying that a demon is just those, those base animal instincts that keeps you from, you know, using your human brain and your intellect. And that if you're just guided by your animal instincts, then that that is what hell is. He goes on. He goes on to say the generative system is gradually being absorbed into the brain and the man of the next great period will generate its progenies or at least form vehicles for them through the larynx, which is the organ of the spoken word. We're told that a small etheric body which will later be the organ of positive reproduction is gradually being built near the larynx. 
I feel like there's something occult there that, that I didn't pick up on either. But he's saying that in the future, Small, you'll just be able to, to speak bodies into existence. Etheric body. But if you go with, <laughs> just say, just hit the fucking button. Darn, right, I'm going to hit the button. <laughs> Good God. That's a homunculus <laughs> certified motherfucker. <laughs> homunculus <laughs> but i think this plays into the same as above so below mm-hmm. because just in um you know like the bible where god basically creates the world by speaking it into existence first there was the word he, he creates it through vibration i think this is just saying that at some point humans will evolve to where we can also mimic that same you know in the image of god where we can also just speak something into existence to tie back to that word aum Aum is at the the heart of this. That's that's being able to take um, that original unbridled energy, harness it, and then construct something specific with it. Certain occult schools have taught that the spiritual consciousness of man was not fixed in any point of the body, but was in whatever part of man his thoughts dwell. We know that there are three worlds where man may dwell. The first is his mental world where he may live surrounded by his thoughts, his dreams, and aspirations. The second is his human world, where he may be one of the great middle class, which thinks a little, eats a little, sleeps a little, and worries un, unca- uncasingly? Unceasingly. Unceasingly. I, I got some typos here. The third possible home is his animal world, where he may dwell in the midst of passions, lusts, and hates, which burn his soul and consume his body. The history of the primitive races shows that they have risen through all of these stages until at last a few have become truly thinking creatures. Well, I think he's missing a world here, too, because he didn't know about the virtual world, which <laughs> in, and, and I'm not even joking about that because the virtual world is not the same as your mental world. It's almost like a, a, a midway between the human world and the mental world because it's it's got all the things from our human world, um, but it's like, you know, we're, we're not fully invested in it or vice versa. So, I mean, I would love to know what Manly Palmer Hall would think about augmented reality and virtual reality. The story of man's soul is written in his blood. The position he occupies in evolution, his hopes and his fears are all imprinted on the etheric forms which flow through his bloodstream. Until red blood comes into the body, the spirit of man cannot enter, but hovered over the body attached to it by an electric thread interesting by studying crickets grasshoppers and similarly small creatures clairvoyantly (laughs) i I got this image of manly palmer hall just out in his garden like i'm talking to the crickets right now it is my my clairvoyance to to look at the energy of the, the crickets it is possible to observe impulses from the little globes hovering over their bodies which result in the <laughs> primitive motion and sense which they demonstrate therefore it is said that the actual line between the vegetable and the animal is drawn with the coming of red blood consequently certain small fishes mollusks etc are technically vegetables although not recognized as such by science so the key is the liver it, it, the liver is the key to the red blood lucifer's red garments derived from their color from the blood while the word lucifer means a carrier of light or heat and is the name for blood for this reason he is the spirit of temptation in the christian mysteries and the piercing of the liver of christ by the spear of the centurion especially mystical 
while Prometheus, the friend of man, hanging upon the peak of Mount Caucasus, Caucasus, like Caucasus, with a vulture gnawing at his liver, is the same myth expressed in the symbolism of ancient Greece. So we know that. Yeah, again, that he's saying that the, the spirit destiny yeah. is the vulture. Yeah, exactly. And and, yeah. and he starts this chapter out with something that blew my mind a little bit. He says that. The blood of every man is individual. When crystallizing, it forms geometric patterns mm -hmm. which differ from every other person so that by means of blood analysis would be a far surer system that could be evolved for crime detection than the fingerprint system. And I had to look this up. And again, he wrote this in 1929. And the first use of blood in forensics was 1986. So this is like over 50 years before they actually used blood in forensics, Manly Palmer Hall was like, yo, this would be way more efficient than fingerprints if you just uh, tested people's blood. So he was way ahead of the curve on that one. And his murder mystery came out in 1938. We should do like a, like a, a watch party or something for it. The When You Were Born, his 1938 murder mystery film. Oh, it's a, is it a talkie? Does it actually have sound? Yeah. Yeah. He, he okay. does I've the intro and everything, bro. You've never seen it? No, I've never seen it. What? Okay. Well, I'll send, I'll send it to you. But what else do we have here? Lucifer, Lightbringer, uh, Prometheus. He gave the fire to man. He was cursed by the Titans. It's further interesting note to the, the word live and liver for, for to have a liver is to live. And we know that because if, Dialysis is for the kidneys or for the liver? For the liver, right? I don't know. You don't know? Anyways. So You always put me on the spot with these like medical questions. You're supposed to know, bro. <laughs> so you have anything else on that? So he goes into different colors. So he says red's the color of the liver. Um he says that yellow is the color of the the soul. Because so basically red being the color of the liver means red is the color of the body. That's the material plane, the prison. That's the color red. The color yellow is the soul, the energy, the pineal gland. And then he says that blue is the highest of the three primary colors. Um, so this one's given to the father or the Holy Spirit. Um, and he also kind of relates this to the pineal gland in a way. Um, but only in that the that blue and yellow combine to make green that he kind of references in here. And then he also, at the end of this chapter, he gives props to occultists in general. He was like saying that while discussing the subject of occult anatomy and physiology, we must, we must stop for a moment to give credit to alchemists and Rosicrucians who during the Middle Ages concealed this study of occult anatomy by dressing up the organs of the human body in the form of retorts and alchemical vessels uh, and there was one of the examples here I'll, I'll show you and coincidentally this comes from notes about your uh, your homeboy Zosimos of Panop Panopticlus I can't always pronounce it Panopolis yeah so uh, this this picture that I'm showing here it's got one of these alchemical sort of beakers and Manly Palmer Hall in this book relates this to the pineal gland um, whereas like you can see Here's where all of the um, the liquid and the substance that you're trying to concentrate um, gets concentrated. And then down here is where it kind of drips out from the end. So mm -hmm. this is basically the bottom of the pineal gland secreting this, this golden yellow substance into the rest of the body. And that how alchemists 
we're basically just repeating this exact same process that's happening inside the body, outside the body. And that this is part of their whole alchemical work is recreating, you know, alchemy, not through the transmutation of gold, but the transmutation of this golden substance that's secreted by the pineal gland. Interesting. We have the alchemical furnace was the human body. The fire that burned it was at the base of the spine. The chimney was the spinal cord up which the vapors passed to be gathered again and distilled in the brain. This was indeed a secret system brought to Europe from the Far East, where for centuries it has been considered the highest form of religion. We may call these occult truths the principles of operative spirituality in contra, contradistinction, contradistinction to modern religion, which is made entirely of speculative theories. People do not dream that, re that religion is physiological, nor would they believe that their salvation depends entirely on scientific uses of the life of elements and forces within their own bodies. But in spite of all that may be said to the contrary, such is the case. So <laughs> we have here the part, the last part, right? Let me double check. Well, no, so he's got a cult embryology. Oh, got, we got uh, where he parts. talks about the, you know, the, the formation of an actual person. And he mentions that, uh, <clears throat> he says the, the cosmogony myths of nearly every nation are based on embryology and the formation of the cosmos is said to have taken the same way that man is formed only on a larger scale. So this is that same as above, so below. And he even mentions that by name. He says that there are, um, down, uh, so the universe was created out of water and floated in a great sea, which could be likened to the amniotic fluid. Then consciousness comes down a ladder, which he likens to the umbilical cord. Then he says that through the four rivers flowed into a new land, as told in Genesis, and that these four rivers are likened to the blood vessels inside of an umbilical cord. Um, and then he basically says that maybe someday perhaps a new science will be based on the law of analogy that will be far greater contribution to scientific data than all the scientific speculations of all ages. So he's saying that once the science comes around and bases itself on hermetic philosophy, then science goes to the next level. I don't know how I feel about that, but it, <laughs> it sounds deep. It's very John D-esque when the angels were like, yo, you guys need a new world order, a one world religion. And Hermeticism and Kabbalah needs to be like at the, the Kabbalah needs to be at the center of everything. So, yeah. And we have Where's that Illuminati confirmed button. Oh, no, I got you, bro. Homunculus confirmed. Oh, no. Illuminati <laughs> confirmed. I got to bump up those <laughs> those other audios a little bit. You have anything else uh, towards the end of this? Yeah. So he also says, in very matter of fact, in embryology, we have an interesting recapitulation of the passage of the human race through various species of nature. And he's basically talking if you watch a human embryo as it grows, like first it starts out as like a little like minnow and then it turns into like a little fish looking thing and then it turns into a little lizard looking thing and then a little bird looking thing. And he's kind of showing you visually the same exact evolution that humans went through but he mentions that we find at the hyperborean creatures um again this is a reference to uh this these old like mythological areas <laughs> so the, the hyperboreans 
uh, were assumed to have lived in like the North Pole area, uh, basically. And they were written about by a bunch of different sort of like ancient writers. Um, so I just love how he always incorporates these mythological beings and then uses that like, oh, we find it certain times of like the, Lem the Lemurian period and the Atlantean period. He goes on, yeah, later the Atlantean and finally the Aryan. We most certainly recommend to all occult students that they make a very careful study of this subject. Science knows that all life upon this planet came out of the water. The human embryo is enveloped in water through all the primitive stages. And then we have here the nine months of prenatal epoch have been employed in symbolism for ages. Nine is called the number of man because of the nine months that the body is in the state of preparation. The perfect number is supposed to be 12. So at the present time, man is born three months before he is finished. The gradual unfolding of the of the human race will result in more being accomplished during the prenatal epoch until finally birth will be the ultimate and all experience and growth will take the place in the embryonic state. And then he goes. So, so as the next step in human evolution is that women are going to be pregnant for 12 months and the baby's <laughs> going to come out even bigger. And that's the next step in evolution, it sounds like. Yeah. And then man is not born all at once. We may say that he is born by degrees. The yep. consciousness works outside of the body, laboring with the plastic substances up to the time. The quickening when it takes hold of the vehicle from within and begins. I got a typo, I guess, to mold a certain amount of individuality out of the materials which surround it. At the time of birth, the physical body is born and a process of crystallization sets in, which never ceases. Another typo for a moment until death. Man begins to die at the moment he is born and the span of life is the length of time which this requires. At the seventh year, the vital body comes into action and another typo the the greatest periods of growth commence i guess it is then that parents begin to experience difficulties and my thing is freezing up again bro well t he goes through the different ages but there's one thing that he noted here and i'm i'm still trying to find out i want to say it was in plato's republic but it might have been in a book written about plato's republic but hall says here in the 49th year marks the dawn of a new period of mental activity and the following seven years are the golden years of thought. So he's basically saying that from the ages of 50 through 57 is when you can understand the most about the world. And I don't know how old Ronnie was when he met um, Palmer Hall, but Palmer Hall is basically saying here, like he didn't peak in his 20s. He peaked in his 50s and that most mm. people peak in their 50s. And, I, and I'm trying to remember the quote, but the quote was something that like, um, you shouldn't be able to read the Republic until you're in your 40s. It was, it was something like that. But I remember reading that quote a few times because I tried reading the Republic in my 20s and I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. <laughs> and I tried it again in my early 30s and I still didn't really know what the hell I was looking at. So I guess there's I always have this hope out there that maybe once I turn 40, or I guess according to the Palmer Hall, once I turn 49, then I'll finally be able to really understand it at a deeper level. Interesting. It's like the, I think it's the Merkaba where they say you can't read until you're 40 or something like that, or the Kabbalah, I don't know, something or other. I've heard well, and before. he's making a case here that there might be a physiological yeah. reason for that. Just yeah. the way that your pineal gland calcifies and just the way that your thymus gland um, atrophies, these things are set up for different stages of life so that once you get to a certain stage, it's literally all the organs in your body are helping it so that your brain's not focused on the organs and vice versa. 
you have anything else towards the end? I'm going to let you take the occult masonry because that's all you. Oh, I, I conveniently didn't get to read that part. No? <laughs> so you tell me. Okay, so we have, to the students of mystic masonry, one problem eternally presents itself. And you let me know this is true. He knows it under many names. It is told to him in many symbols, but briefly it may be defined as the purification and liberation of spirit and body from the bane of crystallization and materiality. In other words, he is seeking to rescue the life buried amidst the ruins of his fallen temple and restore it to the rightful place as the keystone of a spiritual arc. Are you struggling with that, bro? Well, we were just talking about in the previous section where to the occultist, birth is death and death is rebirth. And that's Awakening, sort of the, yeah. well, that's the, the concept of, you know, Freemasonry is that you're basically raised. They call it, you, you've been raised the Mason the same way that you was raised someone out of their, their grave. Interesting. When studying ancient Masonry, we are dealing with one of the first revelations of what we know as the wisdom teachings like other great mysteries it consists of solutions to problems of everyday existence it may seem of little use to us now to study these ancient abstract symbols but in time every student will realize that the things he now casts aside as worthless are the jewels which one day he will need like the centaur in the zodiac man is eternally striving to lift his human consciousness from the body of the animal in the three-rung ladder of masonry we find the three great steps which are necessary for this liberation. These three steps are the three grand divisions of human consciousness. We can briefly define them as materiality, intellectuality, and spirituality. They also represent the represent action on the lowest rung, emotion on the central, and mentality on the highest. All human beings are lifting themselves up to God by climbing these three steps that lead to liberation. When we have united these three manifestations into harm, harmonious balance, we then have the flaming triangle. And wasn't that in the initiates of the flame, bro? Wasn't the it flaming is, triangle? Bro. That is. <laughs> That's exactly where it came from. The ancients declared God as a dot in the center to be unknowable, but said that he manifested through his three witnesses, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And those are also the three witnesses of Aram Abif, right? The ones that kill him? Wasn't it three? Uh, it, it was it was three ruffians, yeah. Mm. And so the Holy Spirit, or yeah, the part of God which is within each of us can manifest only through his three witnesses. The Father manifests through our thoughts, the Son through our emotions, and the Holy Spirit through our actions. When we balance our thoughts, our desires, and our actions, we have an equilateral triangle. So that's where Daddy Pythagoras comes in because, you know, the Pythagorean theorem. And or to Masons, it's the forty seventh proposition of Euclid. The, is that is that something to them? the The forty seventh proposition. It's the same. It's the same reference, but that one I believe predates Pythagoras. It's the yes. same formula. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So we have Masons are all about trying to to cite the earliest version of something and then taking credit for it. <laughs> um, a Masonic symbols is the beehive called the symbol of industry for it clearly demonstrates how man should cooperate with his fellow men for the mutual development of all. It also contains a much deeper message for each living soul is a bee that travels through life and gathers the pollen of wisdom from the environment and experiences of life. 
As Does a this B. mean the the B movie is actually um, a Masonic parable? Oof, I don't know, bro. But that's we need a good... to rewatch the B movie now. And <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen about... it. <laughs> I've never seen it. So oh, it's worth. I'm pretty sure it's got like reptilian angle to it. Really? Yeah. If you okay. haven't seen it, I think you should in particular. I'll watch it with my son. As the bee gathers the honey from the heart of the flower, so each of us should extract the spiritual nectar from each happening, each joy, and each sorrow, and incorporate it into the great beehive of experience, the soul body of man. In the same way it is said that the spiritual energies of man eternally take the life forces he is transmuting and carry them up into the beehive in the brain where he where is kept the honey or oil necessary for the sustenance of the life. And last night, bro, we were talking about the, the, I forgot what it was. You ever hear people covering their bodies in, in honey? You ever heard? We were looking at it last night. Anyways, I'll find the name of it, but I'm just thinking about that right now where it's called the mellified man. You ever heard about that? Mm-mm. Dude, look that shit up. <laughs> oh, my God. So the ancient gods are said to have lived on nectar and not have eaten or drunk like other men. And we go on here. An ancient philosopher once said that the bees extract honey from the pollen of the flowers, while from the same source the spider extracts poison. The problem which then confronts us is, are we bees or are we spiders? And don't masons worship some spider god or something like that, or is that on The Simpsons? No, no, <laughs> no. Masons don't worship a spider god that I'm aware of. Do we transform the experiences of life into honey <laughs> or do we change them into poison? Do they lift us or do we eternally rebel against the pricks? Many people become soured by experience, but the wise one takes the honey and builds it into the beehive of his own spiritual nature. Did, did pricks have the same um, meaning in 1929, I wonder, because... Because that phrase, do do they lift us or do we eternally rebel against the pricks? I almost feel like that works regardless of if you knew what that word meant at the time. No, or not. I don't. I think maybe prick. I mean, when you prick something, you're pricking it, right? But a prick nowadays, well, we could look do it we, up. Do we eternally rebel against the pricks? I say we do. You think so? Etymology. Prick. Let's see here. The word comes from the Middle English. Prick, which originated Old English, prick up, point, puncture, particle, small portion of space or time. The meaning of prick as pointed weapon or dagger first noted in the 15th in the 16th century. I think this prick means like a dick. You think so? I, I think so. Like you little prick. It's like calling someone a little dick. So I have here, he gets into the yard, the lion's paw. The spirit in man with its eyes that see in the dark is the ever striving to lift their lower side of their own nature into union itself. And then he goes on here saying, we often hear the expression riding the goat or climbing <laughs> the grease pole. This is this is of symbolic important import to those who have eyes to see. For when man masters his lower animal nature, he can honestly, he can say honestly that he is riding the goat and he and if he cannot ride the goat, he cannot enter the temple of initiation. The grease pole which he must climb refers undoubtedly to the spinal column. And it is the, it is only when the consciousness of man climbs up the spinal column in the brain that he can take the degrees of Freemasonry. So, climb and there's those poles, a, baby. <laughs> dude, there's, let me show you something. 
if you look at old Masonic catalogs from the early, um, I guess, 20th century, 20th, 19th centuries, but there's this thing called a bucking goat. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, is there is there a bigger picture of this? Here we go. But these were actual skinned, you know, like an actual goat that they would kill and then put on this little contraption. That's creepy as fuck, bro. And they would have you sit on it and try to like knock you off of it, basically. Um, the bucking goat. Yeah, I mean, it's a, like it's the same thing as uh, when you go to like the a country western bar and it's got the the big like buckaroo, whatever the hell they call it, like the, the bucking bronco that you mm-hmm. sit on. Um, so here's the old versions of this. But basically, it was like a fun little like parlor gag that they'd bring in the initiate and literally make them ride a goat. <laughs> and I think that that probably in earlier versions of masonry, it was a real goat that you'd have to ride. But over time, you know, like they became more civilized and started making these bucking goat sort of contraptions that uh, reenacted the same thing. But it was just this this very symbolic version of what Manly P. Hall is saying is that if you can ride the goat, it means that you've mastered your animal consciousness, right? You can bring um, your thoughts from out of the solar plexus in the pineal gland. But here you've got, I mean, I don't know. It's just so funny that they were literally well, they putting always... old dudes on goats and like, oh, can you stand on? Are you riding the goat? They... And it was just like a way to make fun of it. And they say that like, you know, you, you're the goat or, you know, Kobe was the goat or LeBron is the goat. They always say that, oh, you're the goat is the greatest of all time. Is that, you think that plays into this? Well, I mean, go? I don't know, to be honest. It just it's a great acronym. But I mean, this is literal. This is one of those parts where it's not just symbolic, right? They actually <laughs> look at this. It's finding me a mason riding the goat. <laughs> so they would just strip the initiate down to uh to like their underpants and then make them ride an actual goat at some point, I assume. Interesting. So when a man has so lived that he can understand this wonderful problem, the great eye or center of consciousness is enabled to see out through the clean glass of a purified body. The mysteries of true masonry long concealed from the profane are then understood. And then, and the new master donning his robes of blue and gold follows in the footsteps of the immortals who are climbing step by step, the ladder leading upward to the seven stars. Far above the ark, the source of life floats over the waters of oblivion on high and sends its messages down to the lower man through the cable toe. When this point is reached, the door in the G is closed forever. For the dot has returned to the circle, the threefold spirit and the threefold body are linked together in the eternal seal of Solomon. Then does the cornerstone which the builder rejected become again the head of the corner and man, the capstone long missing from the universal temple is again in place. So the daily occurrences of life are sharpening our senses and developing our faculties. These are the tools of the craft, the mallet, the chisel, and the rule. And with these self-developed tools, we are slowly truing the rough ashlar or cube into finished block of the universal temple. It is only then that we become initiates of the flame for only then does light take the place of darkness as we wander through the vaulted chambers of our own being we learn the meaning of the vaulted chambers of the temple and as the initiatory ritual unfolds before our eyes we should recognize it in the recapitulation of our own being the unfoldment of our own consciousness and the story of our own lives 
With this thought in mind, we are able to understand not only why Atlanteans of old worshipped the, the rising sun, but also how the modern mason symbolizes this sun as Hiram, the highborn, who, when he rises to the top of the temple, places a golden stone upon it and raises to life all things in man. So, are we all masons now? What? Not until you ride that goat. No, fuck that. So that was occult anatomy of man, and like I said, there's that's that always that subheading that to which is added a treaty on occult masonry. So that was the occult masonry section, and I don't understand a lot of it because I'm not a mason, but pretty sure our boy here, Thomas. Understand some of it, right, bro? No. Silence. Silence is always. Anyways, Illuminati confirmed. You skipped over the spiciest part of the the whole one, but I'm not going to point it out. All right, bro. No, I know what you're talking about. The life forces and the lost word. People can check it out themselves if they want it. Because I didn't want to get in too much into either. Because again, bro, I don't want to get bamboozled you want to or... get me killed bro <laughs> you want me to show up for the next one i don't want exactly i don't want you to get kicked out of the lodge so we got to keep thomas in he's our insider so yeah bro you have anything else any concluding thoughts before we get the fuck out of here uh just that uh i again i don't think that palmer was taking shots at christianity he was taking shots at christians of his day and i don't think that it's evolved too much since then if anything it it might have deteriorated more than when he was around uh, just because now this like superficial version of everything has taken more it was precedent. post-Nietzsche too. We got to remember it was that. Post-Nietzsche, but also, I mean, just the word occult at this point is almost synonymous with evil to, you know, certain sects of Christianity. You just mention the word esoteric or occult, it just immediately becomes a bad word or it means that you're summoning demons or something, which is so, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite of all of that because court in the hall here summoning demons would just be not giving yourself every ability to rise that sort of christ consciousness from your solar plexus uh so if you're just always fascinated with the symbols themselves you're almost kind of worshiping idolatry right if you just look at the cross and you don't look deeper into it and think that it has an older history then you're literally just worshiping an image or an icon Yes, we got too lost in the sauce with the symbology. And Daddy Manley Hall said not to. That's the most superficial thing that we can. Right. The historical point of it was the most superficial one. And then anything. But I think that, that might be one of the seven seals, though, right? What? Like under un, reading it historically would be one of those seven seals. And then it's the, the second yeah, one it's is the lowest through one. astrology. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, it's the lowest one. Yeah. So, yeah, bro. Absolutely. For those that want to check it out, uh, it's a very quick read. It's only, well, this ebook is 55 pages, but it's only like 40 pages or something like that. I'll post a link to the PDF in the description. And you want to plug anything else before we get out of here, Thomas? The, uh, the Chosen One versus the Saturnian Cube with uh, issue two, which should be announced on Kickstarter as soon as Juan says that we can announce it on Kickstarter. Uh, but issue two coming out too and check them both out at paranoidamerican.com i've been waiting on you bro so <laughs> well, let's do it dude let's do it i'll post the the kickstarter link in the description for this so people can sign up 
Oh, and yeah. we can get number two pumped out. So, as always, see you on the other side. Roll the music. The law assigning any direction of funds will be focused to the task of collecting vital intelligence on terrorist threats and on weapons of mass production. I know what's going down, son. Sound scientists in the motherfucking house. Sound scientists, motherfuckers, this beat ain't free. We're uh, conscious of, uh, of uh, folks flying, you know, getting lists of people flying into our country and matching them now with a much improved database. Without the tax relief package, there would have been a deficit, but there wouldn't have been the commensurate kick to our economy that occurred as a result of the tax relief. Some of the other members of the crew are here as well. Where are they, Robbie? Where are the members of your crew? Well, they must have couldn't pass the security check. Thank you.